You can now subscribe and save 20% off with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. That's right. Every single time you use that Strava Craft Coffee subscription, you'll save 20% off. And, and you won't have to think about it. You won't have to put in your credit card info. You won't have to do anything. All you have to do is change uh, when you want it to be sent to your door. Choose when you want it to be sent to your door. You could choose two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. You could say you want one bag, two bags, however you like to do it. And then you'll have your coffee sitting ready for you on your doorstep when you need it uh, or right in the pantry where you need it. So check them out. Strava Craft Coffee and subscribe to save 20% every time. Or if you just want to try it out once, you can use the code DNVR20 to save 20% on your first time uh, and then get signed up for a subscription later. Check them out. Strava Craft Coffee. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. Guys, use the code DNVR Sports when you're applying to MSU Denver and you will have your application fees waived. Everyone knows the application fees are kind of the most annoying part of applying to any school. Uh, so when you use the code DNVR Sports, show them you're a member of the DNVR family. They'll just take them right off and wave them. MSUDenver.edu slash online is where you can go scope out all they have to offer. Uh, 70 there are 40 plus online and hybrid programs, 750 total classes. There's something for everyone at MSU Denver. And again, use the code DNVR Sports when signing up, and you will have your application fees waived. My boys, what's going on? Happy Monday, man. What a weekend of playoffs it was. Yes, it was one hell of a weekend. Uh, a, a great betting weekend uh, for your boy. I don't know if you guys caught much of the uh, the big betting bonanza that we threw on Saturday, but uh, I was the champion, per se, if it was a competition, uh, even though I had specifically said it wasn't a competition. Um, yeah, everything's <laughs> a competition for me. But So now, after the fact, you said it wasn't a competition before, uh-huh. but now you're declaring victory. So Yeah, exactly. That's uh, That's, you know, the type of thing that I've been known to do. This is how my daughter operates. It's, 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 it's a legit game when she wins. If not, it's like, oh, well, we weren't really playing. Yeah. No, 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 Dad, we weren't playing. <laughs> Honestly, though, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a competition of me versus the you know the rest of the DNVR guys that were hanging out. It was all of us versus DraftKings, and we won by a lot. Um, so you know, we'll take that. Um, it was. It was a great weekend, and last night. We got a, a, an interesting, I don't know, cherry on top of the weekend. Just a week ago, guys, uh, when odds came out for Deshaun Watson's next home, the Broncos weren't even on the first list that I saw. 
And I actually, um, uh, like, I don't know, do you guys get the emails, just like several emails from different places giving you odds on whatever the topic of the day might be? Right, right. And of course, now it's Deshaun. Right. Well, I actually responded to that email being like, can you provide any insight as to why the Broncos aren't on this? Never got a response. Uh, But the one thing that has changed between the first odds I saw and the odds I saw last night are the Broncos got a new general manager. So I don't know exactly what changed in the eyes of those setting these odds, but I put it out uh, from sportsbetting.com, and it was Broncos with the fourth best odds at 5-1 to one to land Deshaun Watson behind the Jets, Dolphins, and does anyone remember what the third team was? I can look it up. Were the Bears in there? I think you might be right on that. Um Jets, Dolphins, Bears at four to one, and then the mm-hmm. Broncos. What do you guys think? Well, I'm just I'm amazed at the odds there. I'm not necessarily amazed that the odds are the Broncos are the fifth team, but five to one. I mean, a twenty percent. I, I thought you said it was five to one. It's four five to, one? to one. No, it's five to one, but they're the fourth team. Right. Yeah, but a twenty percent chance that that's what Vegas is telling you. That's what's crazy. That opens my eyes to holy cow. And of course. Man, just the way that went this weekend. Where are the where are the uh, Texans on that list, Ryan? They aren't on the list, so I believe it are. It's odds if it's not Houston. Like if he stays in Houston, it's no bet. Okay, well then that that probably makes the odds uh, w- would be a little less than twenty percent for the Broncos if in fact Deshaun uh, if Texas was an option too. But it really seems like things are crumbling apart with Deshaun having any hope of staying in Texas. And that's good for him because he doesn't want any hope of staying in Texas, it seems like. Yeah, you know, uh, the reports have just kind of boiled and boiled and boiled um, from different sources around the NFL. But, you know, the one sticks out to me is from Adam Schefter, um, who basically said, like, there's growing belief that he's played his last down in Houston. Um, Within the organization, there's growing belief. And they've started to explore what a trade – would look like and and once it reaches this point it rarely goes back the other way now maybe they uh you know try to hire eric the enemy to appease him although it's starting to seem uh like no one wants that job uh and i don't know if eric the enemy is going to you know change uh he hasn't even decided if he wants to accept the interview yet so that doesn't seem like a way out for them maybe they come to their senses and and get rid of Jack Easterby. Uh, and maybe that helps things. That doesn't sound like it's going to happen. To me, I rarely would believe that a 25-year-old franchise quarterback, top five, top six, wherever you want to put him, would actually become available. And at this point, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion. Well, think about this. I mean – Let's look at other trades at other positions. Jamal Adams to, to Seattle. What did the Seahawks give up to get Jamal Adams? Two firsts. Exactly. Jalen Ramsey, was that was what? That was a first and a couple other picks, I believe? I think it was two firsts. Two firsts. Okay. If they're worth two first-round picks, what is Deshaun Watson worth? And if by chance he's on the market, then – what would the, what could the Texans reasonably demand if Jamal Adams and Jalen Ramsey get you two first? Shouldn't an elite quarterback who has far more impact on the overall game? 
I mean, we've talked about three first, but I mean, should it be maybe even like four first round picks plus? Well, I think there's a chance beyond that. I mean, I think you may only be able to trade three first round picks in, in the future. So that's where, if that is true, that's where the other players that are worth first round picks come into the equation, such as a Bradley Chubb, a Cortland Sutton. Or you're bringing another team into the trade and getting an extra first round pick. You're making a three way deal where maybe a player is going to to say the Dolphins and the Dolphins are bringing in another pick, another first round pick, and taking it up. That's how that's how you'd have to get to this to to this sort of trade. You may not be able to pull this off without having a third team involved. And honestly, I mean, pulling it off. Uh, is going to be extremely difficult regardless of how this whole thing shakes out. Um, and <clears throat> a lot of it is going to have to do with what Deshaun Watson wants. Because as we know, he has a no-trade clause. He can veto any trade anywhere uh, if he doesn't want to go there. Um, the first team that has kind of emerged as uh, a viable destination for him is Miami. Makes sense. Uh, you know, stars love Miami. Um, and Ryan, they've got to be the favorites in, in those most recent odds you saw, right? They were not. Uh, the, oh. the New York Jets were actually the favorite. Um, and if you're thinking of what the Texans would want, that might make sense because they have more draft capital, uh, especially this year where I believe they have two firsts, uh, if I'm correct there. So, that might make sense. But again, this this is going to come down to where Deshaun Watson, I mean, he truly has all the power here. Now, the Texans could say, you don't want to play? That's fine. You can sit. Um, it would be a, a vindictive and they would only be hurting themselves. But if they don't want to get pushed around by, you know, the quarterback of the team, they do hold that power. That's about the only card that they can play here. Um, if Deshaun Watson, you know, starts vetoing trades. But Ryan, it doesn't seem like they're going to go that route because if there's already been internal conversations, then that means that they're thinking about it. They're talking about it now. Sure, Jack Easterby or the new general manager, Nick Casario, could come in and say, absolutely not. I'm putting my foot down. We're not trading him. But we haven't heard that yet. And once these rumors start going, if you want to keep that franchise guy, that's when someone or the owner comes out and, and releases something publicly right away to say we're not doing that and that has not happened so I don't think that's going to happen I I think if Deshaun Watson is on the Houston Texans he is playing I don't think there's going to be a uh, we're not trading him for anything or else we would have heard that already right but like uh, we've got a flyby Cygnus here in the comments saying like you can't trade any on anything on the offense you have to make it as as enticing as possible to bring Deshaun here so that leads me to like can Deshaun Watson literally sit there and say like I'm down to go to the Broncos, but you guys aren't allowed to get Judy Sutton or Fant in the trade. Like he he can do that. <laughs> he 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 could potentially, but also, guys, I think Deshaun Watson. The Broncos have so many weapons here. It's not like uh, a DeAndre Hopkins situation where you only have one wide receiver that you really like on your team, and if you trade him, like yeah, Cortland Sutton is fantastic. But if you have to put him in the deal, I think uh, Deshaun Watson could see Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, two Pro Bowl running backs, and still be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, 
you know, I'm looking at Broncos fans every day. They're proposing packages on Twitter for Deshaun Watson. It's almost never enough. Um, a lot of them in, include Von Miller, which I have a hard time imagining the Texans want to take on Von Miller's contract. Um, th- there's all sorts of different scenarios here that are being played out. But uh, the main question I want to ask you guys is the headline of the show. Do the Broncos really have a chance at Deshaun Watson? Is that young offensive core enough for him to be enticed? Uh, is Denver a place that he wants to play? Does the store, you know, does going from a uh, recent expansion team or, or uh, you know, to a storied franchise, is that move the needle for him? Do you guys actually believe that this is at all possible? Well, it depends what he really wants. Is it about the team around him right now? Is it about the supporting cast around him? Is it about the, the coaching staff? Or is it about things like the city, the the, the, the climate, etc.? I mean, it's possible that Denver could have the roster advantage compared with let's let's say, let's just say let's say Miami, New York. Okay. The Jets, obviously, their advantage is is to the Texans that we talk about the four first round picks. They could put together four first round picks from just next two years worth of drafts. No problem because of that aforementioned Jamal Adams trade. So, but the Jets, they don't have the supporting cast at all. What the Jets do have is New York. And the, that's where it's like Deshaun Watson, if he succeeded in New York, obviously he would he he would be the darling of the NFL in a way that might not happen in quite the same way anywhere else. So the, so the other, that, that's the thing, Deshaun Watson, he's probably, he, is he thinking right now supporting cast right now, or is he thinking bigger picture three, five, 10 years down the line, the supporting cast can put around him and saying, okay, maybe I can't have as good a supporting cast, but I could be in New York or man, uh, being on South beach just sounds heavenly i would love to be down there it's another state like texas with no state income taxes so i'd keep more of what i earn these are all these are all things that are in play the broncos it's a better situation right now miami and the jets might offer more of what he wants for the longer term i don't know if we can even say that that the broncos are a better situation than the, than the dolphins right now look what the dolphins just did guys for being realistic they went from being the miami freaking dolphins to building this great culture and almost making the playoffs just in one year under brian flores so if we're talking about winning i think i think miami presents the better case now are are the weapons as good on offense probably not, not but even close. But you look at you look at what they did uh, on defense and what they're building there. So in terms of winning, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the five and eleven Broncos uh, are a better spot right now for Deshaun Watson. But but, but Miami, but, they, but Miami does not have the supporting cast on offense that Denver would. I mean, that the perception would be that would that Watson would have would be I could probably take the guys in Denver and make and microwave them into eleven and five and twelve and four or twelve and four pretty quick. Potentially, I, I I just don't think an outsider would view the Broncos as being closer. No, I, I don't think they're they're so far away from that. Um, but it also comes down to uh, what what could the Texans get in return? So, do the Broncos have a chance at Deshaun? Yeah, I do believe they have a chance, and I believe that that they're right behind those two other teams who who are higher on the list than them in the Dolphins and the Jets. But 
if it comes down to Deshaun being okay with any of those teams, I think the package for the Texans uh, would just be would just be so much more enticing with the team that can offer a first round quarterback this year, what either the second or the third best quarterback. Mm-hmm. And also, what we can't ignore here, guys, is what have we heard for the past six days since the Broncos hired George Payton as GM? Draft and develop. Draft and develop. Draft and develop. If you trade for Deshaun Watson, there's no drafting. Now, there can be developing because there's a lot of young guys on this roster and developing around a 25-year-old quarterback, certainly. But there would be no drafting. So that's just where I put caution with the Broncos right now. If John Elway was still running this, I would say little better chance because I think John would be willing to make that big time move right now with George Payton. I, I do caution that that hurts the chances a bit. Well, I'll the other thing with this. Payton, the other thing, if, with, sorry, the other thing ahead. with Payton is that it depends where they are in the draft and develop cycle because in Minnesota, remember they traded a first and a fourth for Sam Bradford, but where they were was coming off 11 and five, having won a division. They really thought when Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, if we can find somebody to plug and play, we can be in the Super Bowl. They were at that level because we've talked about their, how the array of possibilities are in play for the Broncos because Minnesota's done all these things, but they did all these things at different times. So in Minnesota, they made that audacious trade but they were a mature team. Where does he see the Broncos being at right now? Does he see this team as close or does he see this team as a ways off? There was a little item in Woody Page's column in the Colorado Springs Gazette over the weekend, talking with an an executive around the league who said with Peyton coming in, the Broncos may be taking one step backward to make three steps forward. So maybe Peyton does not see the team as being that close. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to kind of see how Peyton addresses this i'll say this if your gm strategy precludes you from trading for a 25 year old uh franchise quarterback it's it's a bad strategy so um he did he also did say you know when there's uh things out there on the table the broncos will will be interested and involved um but they won't something like you know they'll be aggressive but not reckless uh, so wait, Ryan, do, 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 do you not agree with me that with John Elway as the general manager making the final decision that there'd be a better chance for this happening than with George Payton? Um, I think there's two ways of looking at it. I guess the one way would be if it's John Elway, he's looking to make a final splash, you know, looking to right the ship in the fastest way possible. It's on also his way a win now move. Right. That's what yeah, I mean. If you're trading three first round picks. Right. But at the same time, a new GM uh, has such a long leash to make a move like this where, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to make this big time splash move. Um, and, and I have six years, you know, so I can trade three years of first round picks because I'm going to be able to, you know, I have the pieces right now. And then by the time that, you know, the contracts come up for these young offensive starters, now I have my first round picks back. So I think if you were setting the odds, you would probably say it's more likely if John Elway was the was the GM, but I don't think be, I, I think the new GM also can help the case uh, in terms of the Broncos making the trade. And like I said, it seems like Vegas thinks that a new GM helps the case because the Broncos weren't even on the list uh, when John Elway was the GM. So I'm with both of you in that there is a chance. But there's going to have to be some incredible breaks that go the Broncos' way in this in this whole thing, and it really comes down to, for me, 
the Broncos' offense, at least offensive weapons, the Broncos' offensive weapons are head and shoulders above the other teams on this list. Uh, and because of that, that's going to have to be your calling card. It has to be Deshaun Watson saying, like, I saw what it was like playing without DeAndre Hopkins last year, and I hated it. I don't want to throw to Chad Hansen anymore. I want to throw to Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, and so on and so forth. That, honestly, is your best chance. Is He says, that's where I want to go. I want to go to the place that's stacked with weapons because Miami has nothing. Uh, for weapons, and neither does uh, neither does the neither do the Jets. Um, neither do uh, I guess the Bears, who are in front of the Broncos, have Allen Robinson, who's a great receiver. Uh, they have uh, I, I believe his name's Darnell Mooney, um, who proved himself to be a great deep threat this last year. So they're closer, but again, I think the Broncos certainly have the best weaponry uh, for a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. The problem with the Bears is they're kind of, they're in the worst cap shape of these teams that we're talking about and they don't have a lot. They don't have really the obvious cuts like the Broncos. If they need, you know, they would ha- need to do some work. If the cap is 175 million, they would need to do some work because they're, they're, they're right now on the hook officially for uh, just over $174 million in contracts. So if it's 175 million, they're under the cap. And actually in terms of cap space over the cap has them uh, 14th in the league right now. Uh, in, in projected cap space. So they would have to do some, make some moves. The it's the dolphins. They're at, they're in, in, in very good shape. If the cap is 175 million, they've already got seven, 17 million of space. Uh, the, the Colts are, the Colts are in good shape. The, the jets are in great shape. So that's, that's why I would kind of cross off the bears right, right away in this is because I don't know if they could get his contract in. And the other thing that that has to come into play is if you're, uh, let's say you're the Jets and you can make this deal because you made the Jamal Adams trade. The the way to get surrounding talent around Deshaun Watson is through the draft picks that you just traded, similar to to the Miami Dolphins. They could put together four first-round picks, two this year, one next year, one the year after. But then all of a sudden your best way to get – those complimentary receivers is out. And what if, and what if Deshaun Watson says, like, like says, like you, like you just mentioned, I don't want to have this kind of situation anymore. I want, I want the talent around me. And that's exactly what, what the Broncos selling point to be would be to Deshaun Watson with that no trade clause that he has. Uh, and what's interesting guys is I've just personally knocked the bears off. I, I don't think that yeah. that's an appealing and place as, to go personally. And as Kale just pointed out in the comments, Alan Robinson's a free agent. And not happy with mm-hmm. the Bears, which would make sense because he's much better than they've allowed him to be there. So I was going to say, I think he'd be pretty happy and would stick around if they were able to get Deshaun Watson. I mean, that, that changes that situation there. But personally, I've kind of knocked the Bears off. So the big two Giants to, to overtake are the Dolphins and the Jets, in my opinion. And what do all three of those teams have, including the Broncos? They have defensive head coaches. And it, it is Deshaun Watson looking for an offensive head coach. What type of coordinator is he looking for? Because Broncos got Pat Shermer. Uh, Would the Jets, I mean, it seems like the Jets are already putting together the coaching staff. They already have their offensive coordinator, but that's something else to look at with the weapons. What, what offensive coordinator does he want to work with? Or does he say, Hey, he talks with George Payton and says, Hey, if I'm to waive my no trade clause for you in a year or right now, I want you to bring in this guy, something. And of course, if you can get a 25 year old quarterback in his prime, that's, that's what you do. Yeah. You'll bend over backwards. I mean, 
I'm not even exaggerating when I say I would tell Deshaun Watson, like, I'll, you can be in on every head coach interview next year. Like, and, and you can, like, we're going to value your opinion above anyone else's. <laughs> well, that's what God, he, he wants at least to say in this Texans one. So I have to imagine that selling him, he'd have a seat at the table would be a big selling point. They'd be better off with him in that vice president position than Jack Easterby based on what we're hearing because Easterby seems to be the guy in that building that is just that has a hypnotic hex over some people and he's basically ruining the whole operation right now. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, all three of us here, everyone in the comment section, just about anyone would be doing a better job than Jack Easterby. (laughs) Have you ever seen anything like this? One guy who so inexplicably has so much sway. But it's got to be a friendship thing. Like, you know, it's just his buddy and and he's, you know, he wants to work with his buddy. Well, and also, I mean, this just just so reminds me of Josh McDaniels in Denver. Uh, and now it's a little different because Jack Easterby isn't the brand new guy there. Uh, but th- this is so much like it. A guy that just says, I want it my way. We're going to do it my way. And I don't care about who's here, who's not here. This is my team. Uh, and I don't care if you have a young quarterback. I'm doing it my way. And if he doesn't want to play with ball with me this way, well, he can get out of here. Yeah, it's so, idiotic. Yeah. If he's doing that, if he's trying to do it through song, is he trying to sing My Way by Frank by, by Frank Sinatra, or is he uh, going a little more modern by saying, I want it that way? I think he that, says, yeah. it, says it over and over again until it's until it sticks in Cal McNair's subconscious, like, okay, you want it that way. We'll do it that way. Did you see also he's got a burner account? uh out there that he's defending himself with that's hilarious <laughs> and, and he keeps in it's it's in the burner account insists it's not jack easterby and some enterprising person went and found the email address associated with the account and you know if that's the case then it, it shows why jack easterby sh- another reason why he shouldn't be so involved in running a team because if you're gonna have a burner account you set it up with some email address that nobody can figure out that's yeah, none, none of none of these people are smart enough for that, and it's not officially him. But the first two letters of the email address are EA. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so again, and I don't think there's any Houston Texans fan out there who would, in their right mind, be defending him at this point. <laughs> and so. did you guys see that there's a march set up in Houston today to uh, to support Deshaun Watson and, and show the support for him staying there? And he actually just tweeted uh, to the people organizing the march to cancel it because of COVID going on. Oh. Um, <laughs> right. No, not because he said, I'm out of here no matter what, but maybe. Damn. It, it, I mean, even the fact that he said cancel it, regardless of his reasoning, just not not good for them <laughs> no uh, what a what a time to be a houston sports fan man that is just that is brutal yeah it this is essentially um if i mean the broncos don't really have a star uh equi- but so i'll just i'll leave the broncos out of this this is if it, in a one month span Nathan McKinnon and Nikola Jokic were trying to force their way out of Denver. This is um, – I mean, the, the Denver almost had this situation. Now, the timing wasn't as perfect, but with Carmelo leaving, uh, that was a huge star kind of forcing his way out. And then also Jay Cutler, now a little different because he didn't necessarily force his way out. But Denver's the closest to this situation. Yeah, and, and Jay Cutler might be the last quarter young quarterback entering his prime who got who got traded away. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and, and Deshaun, and Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Exactly. Deshaun Watson's way better. 
Yeah. And so, so and, and what did the Broncos get for Jay Cutler? I mean, if we're talking about uh, things that, you know, they would not represent what the deal would be, but, uh, but starting, but starting points, Jay Cutler, a notch below Deshaun Watson brought in two first round picks, a third round pick and a mid tier starting quarterback in Kyle Orton. Yeah. Kyle. Well, and, and Drew Locke is probably a better trade chip than Kyle Orton was. In terms of mm. age and tools. In terms of tools, yes. In terms of, well, how old was Kyle Orton when he got traded? Because his first year in the league was 05. So he probably, oh, well, he yeah. Similar Kyle Orton, yeah. Kyle Orton was, uh, was 26 when he got traded to Denver. Okay. Uh, born in, oh. uh, born in November of 82. And the, the thing That's that so- Kyle Orton, the the thing that Kyle Orton did have in his favor was that even though he was statistically unimpressive, he had if, for those who are in the QB wins camp, he had taken the Bears to the playoffs. Even though after guiding them to an NFC North title, they decided to start Rex Grossman in, in the playoff game. And then in 08, the Bears had gone, I believe, nine and seven with him at the helm uh, for all but one game that year. So. Yeah, Kyle Orton I guess was if you take 26. Isn't that crazy? I remember I guessed like, 36. I know. I remember yeah. thinking, like, wow, we just traded the young quarterback for like this old guy. Yeah. Yeah. I wow. guess it's just the way he looked. Uh, and I guess also if you take hindsight out of the uh the picture, Drew Lock, pretty similar. Uh, other than you know, just have like having a much bigger arm and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, Kyle Orton was a Heisman candidate uh when he was in college and when That's that all mind blowing. <laughs> he, uh, when that trade happened, he was still young. Pretty interesting. Um, okay, a couple of other things we got to touch on here quickly. Um, Mace, you had mentioned that Woody Page column that came out, and within that Woody Page column, speaking of Drew Locke, uh, or I guess this was on Twitter. I don't know. You can correct me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, he mentioned that John Elway and Vic Fangio are both pushing for Drew Locke to get another year at, at quarterback. Yeah. And uh, in fact, in, he wrote multiple pieces, but like one paragraph that uh, that kind of jumps out here is where he writes, quote, Vic Fangio and Drew Locke definitely will return in 2021, but nothing is guaranteed beyond. But of course, doesn't say like in what capacity Drew Locke returns, which I think it, it's, it's interesting. That's not in there. It's not, it's not Drew Locke is going to be the starting quarterback. It's just that Drew Locke will return. So and that's that's not opens, a surprise. It, it, that's not that's that's not a surprise. But then in the same paragraph, right after it says nothing is guaranteed beyond twenty one, and then says Peyton's agent also represents Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald, a popular choice as an NFL coach soon. So the question then becomes, if it doesn't work out, does George Peyton already have ideas? Does he already have his list that he would turn to? If there's a head coaching vacancy, and is Fitzgerald at the top of that list? Boy, if it is Fitzgerald, the Broncos in back-to-back years would be getting one of the most sought-after prospects uh, with the GM and the head coach that just have been super, super picky. So that I mean that that that's exciting. If that's the case, that's for sure. Yeah, Page, the said, only, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say Woody Page, the only one, only person I know who just like dr- breaks news. Uh, in responses to people on Twitter. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. here's the tweet that I was referencing. Yeah. He, he uh, said, Peyton knew all about Locke coming out of college. I can tell you, frankly, he hasn't studied him since um, or after he took the Broncos job. 
He will be studying tape when he gets here full time. But Vic and John are pushing for Drew to get another year with a backup veteran free agent. I got to say that uh, not a surprise that John is pushing for that. But personally, I'm surprised that Vic is pushing for that. Just the way that that he's talked about, not just Drew, but the offense and what he needed to see from the offense. And that was, of course, ball control, ball control, ball control. And like we talked about, Drew only didn't Drew had two games where he didn't turn the ball over. That was week one and week 17. So I'm just a little surprised that Vic is pushing for that. Well, it might be yeah. kind of the human thing that, okay, I've ridden with Drew Locke for a little over a year now, and uh, uh, maybe it's just simply like, hey, you know, I, I think the kid can do a bit more in a better in a better situation. But uh, the, it's the GM that kind of has to have the less emotional eyes. And I don't know that John Elway, if he were involved with the decision, I don't know that he would have kind of the cold or unemotional perspective on it because he did draft Drew Locke, but George Payton would so, and it's ultimately going to be his call. And so that's that. That's why that's why having Payton is valuable. But how much does he listen to them, and how much if George Payton doesn't like what he sees from the film, how much does he go with that? Well, and guys, also one thing I was told this weekend about George Payton was don't be surprised in every aspect. If he kind of takes a step back this year, just see how things are going. and doesn't make any huge changes. To, that's to his personnel staff. That's to the roster. And so that would lead to Drew Locke coming back for another year and not necessarily, you know, with everyone's full confidence. And I don't think that's a surprise to anyone uh, just because of the way Drew's performed. But that could just be another reason why it's more of the same for next year let George, especially since he has that six-year contract, see what he thinks of everything first person and then make bigger moves to the coaching staff, to his personnel staff, and to the roster in one year from now. Yep. So what it, kind it, of hedge is that? Is, is that then if he if he sits back and doesn't just ask Cole, but just brings in a backup, what kind of hedge is it going to be? Is it going to be an older veteran? I mean, the Vikings did that when they had Traveris Jackson. Gus Farratt was basically, as it turned out, one year from top from retirement at that point going into year 15 and they brought him in or is it somebody uh the year that uh, christian ponder was going into his third season 2013 they brought in matt castle who wasn't that far removed from taking the chiefs to a division title i mean does he bring in somebody like that and of, and and of course when they brought in case keenum who'd been a starter for the rams half of the previous season they had Bridgewater coming off injury. They had Sam Bradford with the questions about his knee. He's all Peyton has always been a part of a team that did its best to have everything backstopped. I mean, really, until Kirk Cousins was the guy, the Vikings always tried to kind of have somebody that they could turn to and trust, kind of the opposite of the Broncos, just having Jeff Driscoll in there. So what kind of backup, what kind of hedge is coming in here? I think that's, uh, that, that's the question that I wish we could answer right now, and we can't. Right. And honestly, you know, if, if you take Deshaun Watson off of the table, you can make the argument that rolling with Drew Locke, uh, you know, the next year could be your best option. Um, we don't know how the first round quarterbacks are going to pan out or even what caliber of first round quarterback is going to be available at number nine. Um, we don't even know if Matt Stafford or Matt Ryan will be available like a lot of people have predicted or talked about over the last year. So that might be the best move. For the Broncos. Uh, last thing we got to touch on here in the first segment uh, is, of course, the news that broke about Von Miller on Friday. Um, under investigation here in Colorado, we just don't know a lot of information. Um, Zach, what exactly do we know at this point? 
We know that Von Miller is under criminal investigation by the Parker police. And officially, that's all we know, guys. That's the only information that they want to release. Now, if they find that a crime was committed, then it will be what we'll know what for. And it'll be sent to the DA's office. Uh, The investigation, I was told, guys, started recently. um, And we know that there's been those text messages that were leaked between him and his ex-fiance. A lot of people are drawing the connection that, that that's what it's about. Uh, but we don't even know if that's exactly what happened there. So th- this is something that, guys, uh, it, it it just puts more questions about Vaughn's future out there. Yeah, ahead, and the, the other thing like that's kind of in play, like those text messages, we don't know if that's what launched the investigation, but Fox 31 did, did report that it's an investigation into domestic violence, and one thing that that came out on Friday was that the the source of the, uh, the the text messages that were put out onto Instagram also said that like things are okay with Vaughn and I were focused on you know making sure it's a healthy environment for the baby uh, blah blah blah. So yeah. if that's and the also case, she said yeah. that there explicitly that that uh, Vaughn had never right uh, again that was so uh, in, in, Vaughn had never. Um, Put his hands on her, I guess is what, right. What so, or something along it, those lines. so then in that case, if she's not pushing for anything, it doesn't even become a he said, she said thing. At that point, it then becomes all about the text messages, and we may not have seen every single text message that was involved. And so, the thing that could be in play is that if there's something in the text messages that we haven't seen, it could be something. Of a, of a harassment charge because the, the cops could get their hands on those very easily. All you have to do is call up Verizon or whoever and, and get all those messages subpoenaed. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that Von Miller is out, out of the woods just yet, but uh, right now we're just, you know, all we're doing is speculating that we'll, and we don't really know what went, what, what went on at this point, but uh, it would seem like Von Miller on the surface is in a better place now than maybe he was say four days ago. Yeah, and, and as you can can hear, by the way, we're kind of tiptoeing around it. We just don't yeah. have enough information right. to, you know, uh, speculate on what it could mean for his future, speculate on what it could mean for his personal life. We we just don't have a lot of information. So uh, a ton of people watching on YouTube. We love you guys. If you'd hit us with a thumbs up, uh, a subscribe, you could even sign up for alerts when we go live. We appreciate all of those things. Um, and uh, – for everyone who's listening on the podcast, we'll talk to you in a second. For those of you watching live, thanks for tuning in and catch us anywhere you listen to podcasts for the second half of the show. Just search the DNVR Broncos podcast. All right, everyone tuning in on the podcast side of things, thanks for continuing to roll with us. And you get the pleasure of hearing our DK picks of the week. Uh, so, Zach, you've been on a little bit of a nice streak here. Why don't you start? Guys, I'm pushing for this to go today. I know it's early in the week, but I already got my eyes set on next weekend's games with my DK pick of the week. And the reason it's urgent to get to today is the line is already moving, guys. On my DK pick of the week, I'm going Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Green Bay Packers. Personally, I think it's going to happen straight up. But guys, right when the lines came out yesterday, it was four and a half points. Then it went to four. 
and now it's at three and a half points. That's it's already moved a full point and just over 12 hours. That's why I already got in on it right now at DraftKings. Uh, and I just don't want it to see it hit that three point mark, but I just love for a second week in a row, Tom Brady getting a field goal in, in his advantage. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't really have a choice here. Um, just based on everything you've said for like the last two years. <laughs> it's very true. Th- this is the game that I wanted. The narr- This is a narrative game, big time. Um, if, if what do I what do I root for? Do I root root for uh, the the Bucks in my heart, or do I root for the fact for me being the Aaron Rodgers stand by comparison to Zach being anti Aaron Rodgers? Do I root do I root for the team of my childhood, or do I root for being right? Ultimately, I'm going to root for the Bucks, but I was going to say got a conundrum. I've got, I can't I win, but two, I can't lose. I've, I have two, uh, I see two Buccaneers helmets in your background right now. You got to be pulling for Tom Brady. Oh, the, fa- the fact that it's I'm even pulling question- for the Bucks. I'm pulling for the Bucks. The, <laughs> Tom Brady happens to be their quarterback. I see that. I'm pulling, I'm, I'm pulling for Levante David. I'm pulling, I'm pulling for Mike Evans. I'm pulling for Cameron Bray. I'm pulling for Chris Godwin. I, it's, it, Tom Brady just happens to be the guy leading the, the charge right now. But I will never be a Tom Brady fan. I would never wear a Tom Brady Buccaneer jersey. I, I just I can't do it. And actually, when he was seen after the game, there was a picture of him with that quack Alex Guerrero. I threw up in my mouth a little bit. Like, yeah, you let that guy in. You, you, you let that fox into the hen house. Ugh. Hey, yeah, I'm not, good. I'm, not, I'm not supporting Tom Brady as a person or saying people should be cheering for him. But I mean, j- just to Tom Brady as an underdog two weeks in a row. Guys, oh, open your eyes. What are we doing here? Tom well, at least Aaron Rodgers has an arm instead of a wet noodle. Yeah, I mean, t- Tom Brady has nothing left. <laughs> Tom Brady's road record in the playoffs isn't that inspiring. So well, he's wow. one. He's he's two and oh this year. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, those 8,000 people in Green Bay, I mean, they can only make but so much noise. It's true. Um, I, I, I think it's crazy, um, the dynamic with Mace there, and I noticed this with a lot of Buccaneers fans. I, I think the lack of love for Tom Brady is going – like would result in a, a little bit of an emptiness if somehow he was able to lead them to the Super Bowl, which – I, I think it's just different because Brady's so hated. Like, no one really ever hated Peyton Manning. But I never noticed that at all with with Peyton Manning in Denver, even in his first year when he still really wasn't a Bronco yet. But I think it's a weird vibe from Bucks fans, and I totally understand it. Like, I can feel it from the outside. Yeah, there's. I think the word is kind of ambivalent. I mean, you're happy about it, but it's like the way it happens. Like, for example, not only Tom Brady and everything that you know, everything that's on his resume, but bring in Antonio Brown. Like, okay, I mean, just are we just gonna are just gonna double down on kind of being being the Stepping villains the here? I mean, yeah, I mean, is it worth is it worth selling the soul to win it to win a title? I mean, it's you know, I mean, I'm en- I'm enjoying it, but I you know. I enjoy, I'm enjoying more things like Devin White making a play. You know, I, I'm enjoying seeing Jason Pierre-Paul, who who went to USF down in Tampa, so he's been on the the radars of football fans down there for basically about 14 years. It's Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, who we all know and love here in Denver. Uh, you know, the, attacking Drew Brees and forcing an errant throw. These are the things that are making me cheer. You know, the guy who's throwing the passes. 
Eh, you know, it's, I'm not saying I'm not trying he's to not convince, my guy. I'm not trying to convince not my guy. you or anyone uh, in Denver to be cheering for Tom Brady himself. But boy, I just think that's a good line right there. It is. But I would say, like, if, if you're a Bronco fan and you want to cheer for Tampa Bay for whatever reason, well, I would say, fine, you, you know, cheer, cheer for Mike Evans, cheer for Cameron Bray, cheer for Shaq Barrett cheer for Jason Pierre Paul. I mean, there are, there are a lot of guys that are actually that are worth cheering for on this team. Cheer for Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. A couple of, you know, a couple of coaches who are doing a great job. I mean, yesterday I think was probably Todd Bowles's magnum opus on the defensive side, uh, considering what the defense has been for the most of the year, what they did was amazing and certainly has to change uh, some of the Packers tactics going into this game. Although it's going to be more difficult for the Bucks because Aaron Rodgers can throw downfield and Drew Brees can't throw downfield. Yeah, it should be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, I'm a firm believer the Bucks would have lost last night if it weren't for uh, Jared Cook's fumble. But mm. all right, Mace, what do you got for your uh, pick of the week? All right, well, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go basketball tonight. I got you. Got big game between Kansas and Baylor. Of course, KU coming off of. Uh, Coming off the loss to Oklahoma State, Baylor, Baylor is uh, sitting there uh, right now, 12-0, 5-0 in Big 12 play. And uh, rare in this series, Baylor is sitting there as an 8.5-point favorite. The game is down in Waco, but you know, basically home court advantage doesn't really mean anything. Uh, what does mean something to me, though, is that uh, KU, with the exception of with the exception of a couple of games, some of their wins unimpressive, some of their losses humbling. They lose by 25 to Texas uh, a, a few games ago, losing Oklahoma State on Saturday. The eight and a half point line, I don't think uh, I don't think Baylor wins this one by 20 points, but I think Baylor covers it wins by 10 to 12. So even though I'm giving eight and a half, I'm taking Baylor in this one. All right, I like it. I like the uh, college basketball reference there. And since you brought up college basketball, I am going to vent. Uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. They're 11 and three. They are seventh in the net ratings, uh, which uh, is kind of the most important um, new rate. What what RPI used to be is what net is now. And the six teams ahead of them are all ranked. I actually haven't seen the updated, but as of yesterday, they were all ranked in the top 11 of the AP top 25. The buffs over the last week, had three wins, two of them blowouts, one of them over Stanford, who was regarded as a pretty good team. And today, the AP Top 25 voters have a chance to rectify that. They were unranked while the other teams were all in the top 11, and they didn't do so. Buffs are still unranked, despite being 11-3 and three and number seven in the country in the net ratings. It's just, I, I, I'm beside myself. <laughs> do you have the uh do you have the ratings in front of you the the other rankings who's it who made the top 25 well i did for a second but uh i'm curious what the record of the the team's 20 to 25 are well i know that oregon who the buffs beat is ranked ahead of them um at number 22 mm-hmm. so um you've also got ucla in there who did beat the buffs at home um there's Illinois sitting there at nine and five. Mm, yep. Um, it's the Big Ten. I mean, they're gonna 
the, the Big Ten is so well thought of that they're just going to gobble up rankings and they're not going to they're not going to lose spots just because they're losing to each other. Like Illinois, you know, loses to Ohio State. Well, Ohio State's ranked, too. I mean, unfortunately, we've got this pattern of perception regarding the Big Ten that's going to artificially inflate them in the polls. It's going to be hard to pick that lock. Yeah, that's a joke. Uh, St. Louis is in there. They've only played eight games. So is that is that your is that where you're going for DK? Are you saying the Buffs sweep this week? Well, they don't. We don't have lines on that yet either. But we also don't have lines on my lock of the week. But it's fine. It doesn't matter. Just wait for it to happen, and then do it. Um, whenever the Avs game lines come up, just take Miko Rantanen over on shots on goal and just ride that until it stops hitting. <laughs> uh, I, I did it last week. It hit. I'll do it this week. It'll hit. Just just keep doing it. You'll hit it like three out of every, or I should say like eight out of every nine games. And what, what scares you? What's the number where you would back away? I guess four and a half, but it's been at two and a half every game. Mm, so, so you're still loving they, it at three and a half. If they put it up to three and a half, they're going to have to give some value because that's a lot of shots. Um, uh, what I think will keep happening is they'll just keep taking away juice. So like first night it was minus 125, then it was minus 134. They'll probably move it to like minus 141 in the next game, and I'll take it again and just happily <laughs> stack my cash. <laughs> I love it. I love it all, oh, guys. And I'm also so freaking pumped for this weekend's games. It's, trust me, I know how much is on the line in that Tampa Bay game. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a big one. It's a big <laughs> well, one. Well, maybe if you want to do a CU bet, RK – Maybe you do Colorado plus eleven fifty to make the final four. Yeah, that's a just not a smart bet. Eleven uh, fifty doesn't sound that good. It sounds like uh, they're given plenty of respect to see you. If anything, I would go like to win the Pac twelve if we can still bet on that conference well, winner. To let's win the- see here, they're plus three eighty to win the Pac twelve. Yeah, that's more enticing to me. It's more enticing to me. Um, okay. Um, wow. We're here. Why don't we quickly go over our picks from last weekend from the NFL games? So Rams Packers on Saturday, Packers six and a half point favorites. You guys both took the Packers and the points. I wanted to go different and of course can't pick Aaron Rodgers. So I went the Rams. So congratulations to you two on covering that. That's a dub. Thank you very much. Next one, Saturday night's game. Oh, boy, this was just a terrible, terrible game. Ravens at Bills. Bills, three-point favorites. You both took the Bills. I, again, wanted to go against the grain. Took the Ravens, and uh, what a terrible game from my perspective. Yeah, that was a crazy game. I had Stephon Diggs to score the first touchdown um, as a bet, and it didn't hit until the third quarter. (laughs) But it hit. I got it. it's 10 to one on that. Yeah, that, that is a good, good call, man. The over under at one point in the game slid down to 29 and a half. Why did I, why did I take the over? But I did not even close the wind. <laughs> what I the wasn't wind. ready for was the wind. Yeah. All about the wind. Yeah. How if, often if, does if, Justin Tucker miss kicks? Rarely except three in this playoffs. Yep. Exactly. On Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, I should say Browns at Chiefs. Ryan, you took the Browns and the 10 points. Mason, and I took the Chiefs and man, it was going to be an easy cover, but uh, some late drama there. So again, Ryan, congratulations. Three and oh, boom, boom, boom. 
And that, uh, man, we'll see. Patrick Mahomes is the story in the sports world this weekend, just how he is with that concussion. I think he's probably going to play too. Did you see or hear any of the Chiefs after the game? No, No. I did not. They didn't sound worried. Yeah. You would have seen it and heard it in their voices if they were really concerned. Guys, I'm sorry. I I don't even care. Like, even if he was severely concussed, I still think he's playing. Not because he wants to, because they'll just fight. They'll figure out a way. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I I mean – and because he wants to, I'm not, I'm not saying like, just because like, he's a tough football guy, like he wouldn't not want to play and they would have found a way to circumvent the system anyway. Well, and I know there's a lot of people like, like you believing that Ryan. And so that's just why if he doesn't play, that would give all credibility to the independent review that, that you're talking about. If he doesn't play, I will, pr- I will praise the NFL uh, just profusely about how great they are about player safety. I'm very curious to see how the line changes because speaking of lines changing like that Tampa Bay game uh, initially, right when the chiefs won yesterday, the line was set at chiefs minus one. Now I believe it's up to three and I bet it stays around there until we know exactly about Mahomes. So, and I'm curious how much it changes mm-hmm. then. And there's already a report coming out um that you you know it comes from the chiefs that's a well not from the chiefs but it's a, a so, someone leaked this that mahomes actually never had a concussion but he tweaked a nerve in his neck that made him woozy hmm. interesting and, interesting and so it begins so yeah. the, the path to making sure he's available sunday already they're already lining it he's playing and he'll play great and then final one of the weekend, guys, saved me again. Bucks at Saints. Ryan chose the push, so he was taking the Saints to win by three. Mace chose the Saints because he just can never believe in his Bucks. And I, of course, chose the Bucks. So I ended on a winning note, and that was the only thing that I won this weekend. But hey, 1-0 and in the past one NFL game, guys. Bucks win by 10. Saints would have won if it weren't for jared cook oh my gosh oh my gosh you guys i i just how is there still disrespect for tom brady i mean it just they were losing and they would have continued to be losing <laughs> i just can't 10. bring myself to i just can't bring myself to be like yay tom brady i just can't do it again not not saying that you should be cheering for him but uh it is wild that he is going to his 14th championship game this week that is true it is wild and um i am playing tonight in the madden league uh for a chance to go to my third straight nfc championship game oh you're building up quite the resume there ryan yes and uh our very own brandon spano who was the number one seed in all of football 15 and one choked it all away last night. <laughs> See, that's just why I don't make it to the playoffs. Then, then there's no playoff choking that can happen. Yeah. Um, well, actually I did make it to the playoffs last year. Sight flex. The t- if that was the real NFL, um, Matt Burita would be getting a uh, shot to the sun today because <laughs> he was showboating on his way into the end zone and fumbled on the one yard line. <laughs> oh, wow. Brutal, way worse than Rashard Higgins' fumble at the one. Yeah, I mean, it's closer to like Deshaun Jackson's fumble at the one, but I don't think that was in a playoff game. I was going to say a playoff game, too. Yikes. 
brutal. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there you go. Um, all right. Before we move on, a shout-out to Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, I mean, if you guys watched the uh, the Big Betting Bonanza on Saturday, we went through several uh, Breck brews, and it made for a very, very good time. Um, we'll actually be bringing back the Big Betting Bonanza this weekend for Championship Weekend. It was so much fun. Everyone who tuned in, we appreciate you guys. And keep an eye out for it. Um, we'll do. It'll be just like this last week. We'll start with a tailgate in the morning, uh, and then we'll go right into the Bonanza for the rest of the day. Uh, so you can kind of get your second screen action going uh, as you watch the games. You can watch us watch the games. A lot of people said they really enjoyed it because they, we were on like a five-second delay, our reactions. So like they knew I had Stefan Diggs' first touchdown. So they see it happen, and then they – fixate on over to the second screen and they're like oh ryan's gonna freak out so uh that was pretty fun uh but it was all fueled by breckenridge brewery so make sure you check out the uh juice drop ipa the mile high city copper lager so many great beers from breck brew uh and they'll all help you have a great time as you watch football this weekend and let's say you're winning a lot of money from watching ryan hit stefan Diggs for that first touchdown on the bonanza well you may want to buy a house, and there's no better people to contact when you're buying a house than Chevalier Mortgage. Our friends Virginia and Mike Chevalier are not only diehard Broncos fans, but they have supported DNVR for a long time as DNVR members, and they're a husband-wife team with over 15 years of financial services experiences. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do, and most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all of your options. That's DNVR Mortgage. Dot com. And since your home is likely to be one of your largest assets and your mortgage, your largest debt, they believe it is vital to consider your full financial picture when purchasing a home. This includes considering your short-term and long-term planning goals, your investments, and your tax situation. Mike of Virginia will work tirelessly to find the best loan for your situation. So visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat when you do. And most importantly, get set up with that free consultation to discuss all of your options. That's Chevalier Mortgage. Michael Chevalier, NMLS 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS 1910631. All right, guys, quickly, I want to read you guys a excerpt from Peter King's column today, uh, which leads into some of the stuff we talked about in the first segment. So quickly, uh, I'll read the whole thing, but stay tuned for the end of it where it gets really juicy or just more in line with what we're talking about. By one count, Peyton had been uh, courted or interviewed for 12 GM positions before taking the job uh, last week. This job, the long, uh, long-time Vikings personnel man said Saturday afternoon, was the right place at the right time. When John Elway offers you the reins of the Denver Broncos and you're from Southern California, you say yes. Elway and Peyton went to school and went to high school in Southern California, had dads who were coaches, and both went to Pac-10 schools. When they met over dinner at Elway's Steakhouse in Denver, Peyton grilled Elway over the recruitment of Peyton Manning in 2012. That was the last glory era of Denver football. Since the team won uh, the Super Bowl in 2015. And Manning retired soon after the team hasn't sniffed the playoffs. Elway hadn't succeeded in replacing uh, Manning. And with Drew Locke at quarterback now, Peyton, who has full control over personnel with Elway stepping aside, will take time to analyze Locke in the QB market before knowing how they'll handle the position. Quote, Drew's talented and I think he can develop, Peyton said. Obviously, you want to bring in competition at every position. Peyton's obviously feeling that way. Saturday was his first day on the job, and it's fair to give him a couple months before choosing a quarterback path. It's most likely someone will have to beat out Locke in camp or during the season. 
Interesting. Interesting. And kind of goes along with the just stay the course for one more year. Let him see what's going on. Uh, and it is interesting that he said, you know, you want to bring in competition. So the question that'll come in is what type of competition? What type of competition is that going to be? Yeah, that's where you say, uh, is it going to be that older veteran or is it going to be the younger guy with upside? I would hope if it were my call, it'd be the younger guy with upside. I mean, uh, shoot. Now, I don't think the Saints will let him go, but if by chance the Saints didn't want Seamus Winston back, I mean, that'd be the guy you, that'd be a guy you kick the tires on, but we'll see. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, this is kind of this, this is interestingly lining up with what our feelings had been all along is that the Broncos will give Drew Locke an opportunity while having something behind him if they need to pull the ripcord. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Should we jump into the comment section, guys? Let's do it. Let's Orange do- and Blue all over says, don't think he will. But if a new GM wanted to sign up Locke for an extension right now, what do you think it would cost? Any chances would be an intelligent gamble to extend him now at a big discount. If he works out as a starter with reasonable enough salary, he could just be solid. Bit overpaid backup if he doesn't work out as a starter. Locking in Locke now is risky. But it could really extend the low-cost starter window if he works out and pay off huge. Guys, this would be a huge gamble. But the commenter is right that if you're right on that gamble, it would pay dividends for a long time. Well, but it's not possible. You can't sign a uh, drafted player until after his third year. So Philip Lindsay was not drafted, so you could sign him after his second year. But since Drew is a draft pick, it, this isn't even possible. Right. It's, it's, it's a moot point. Although it is interesting to think about, okay, let's say Drew Locke has a season a little bit better than he did this year. Is it something that maybe you come back to? Because if Drew Locke took that sort of deal, it would kind of be the opposite of betting on yourself. Yeah. And I think Drew Locke would be the bet on myself type. Yeah. And there's a reason why this rule is in place and it's this exact conversation. Uh, You know, the, the players, don't get a lot of control over a lot of things, but you know, a lot of like players need time to develop and you a player like Drew Locke shouldn't be, have to be in that position in the first place where he has to kind of decide whether he wants to take the stability and bet against himself uh, or, you know, get, or bet on himself uh, and have, you know, the risk of losing out on it. Yeah, exactly. Now, if, if this was possible, I, I don't think you do it. Uh, I don't think you do it just because you, you want to, let's say Drew does turn out to be elite guys. You're fine with paying him elite quarterback money. You'd be happy to sign that check. Yeah. What's hard is if he has a good season next year, that isn't great. And you're not sure if he's elite, but he wants that kind of money. And then you're, you're, mm-hmm. You're stuck in a tough place. And then you're saying, yeah, ask, okay, yeah. play your fourth year on your rookie deal. Uh, and if you turn out to be elite, then then we'll pay you the elite money. It, that's yeah, how like, I would do yeah. it. I mean, what if what if you're sitting there in kind of the same situation the Jaguars were after 2017 when Blake Bortles was fine and they went to the AFC Championship game and they put themselves on the hook for more than they wanted to in 2018 and beyond and they had to kind of have some gymnastics to get out of that cap-wise. That, that's, this, that's the purgatory you kind of fear. Clarity one way or the other is what you want. You don't want Drew Locke kind of settling in that kind of that mid-tier, lower mid-tier where you start saying, oh, well, 
we give it time, we put enough pieces, maybe, maybe you want, you want it to be black or white, not in the gray area like that. Yeah, exactly. You absolutely want it to be, um, more clear. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's a good, a good thing for the Broncos. If you end up having to make that type of decision, it means Drew Locke took a big step forward. Exactly. Exactly. Next one from Low Country Bronco. Hey, fellas, I've been watching a lot of Zach Wilson and Mac Jones lately. They're two totally different players, but I think both will succeed in the NFL. Wilson is similar to Drew, but in my opinion, a much better version. He's a bit more athletic. He has a larger arsenal of throws he can make consistently and also like Mac sees the field well and makes good decisions. His 30 touchdowns to three picks among what you see on the field from him tells me he has a higher floor and ceiling than Locke. When you compare the college tape to Drew's, it's pretty obvious to me that the Broncos would have more potential if they drafted either Jones or Wilson. To me, Wilson looks like the most equipped to compete in the AFC West, and I could see him being the answer. I think Locke could pan out, but I don't see there being a scenario where he fares better in the long run than Zach or Mac. Mac has been my front runner, but thinking about the AFC West pass rush situation, Wilson's athleticism is beginning to look more and more important. Do you guys think that Wilson and Jones have higher floors and ceilings than Locke? If so, isn't the decision pretty obvious? I don't want any other team's sloppy seconds. We need another homegrown quarterback quarterback lcb um i disagree on on a few different levels here um i really am trying not to be like a hater of any players uh anymore in the draft because it's come back to bite me and so i want to be more open-minded about my evaluations saying that you're gonna hate mac jones right now Uh oh yeah here we go (laughs) no (laughs) that's what i'm saying is i'm not going to despite what my instincts are telling me um i Definitely don't think Mac Wilson um, or Mac Jones. Gosh, dang it. Uh, I'm it's gonna not going to be the first time any of us do that. I've, I mean, I've and done then it you a couple watch times him play already. over the weekend. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, I definitely don't think Mac Jones has a higher ceiling than Drew Locke. I, I, I don't even know if that's really debatable. Um, and I don't think he has a higher floor either. Um, player, like every quarterback that comes into the draft has a very low floor. Uh, it's, the, the ability, you know, the rate at which players bust out and, and don't ever succeed in the NFL is really high. So uh, I think his floor is lower and I think his ceiling is lower as well. Um, Zach Wilson, his ceiling is probably a little bit higher than Drew Locke's, I think. But to me, very, very, very comparable college tape. Um, the difference is, is um, competition level. Drew Locke playing in the SEC with players that are – worse than most of the players lining up across from them and uh and Zach Wilson playing you know with BYU where most of the players that he's got around him are better than who they're lining up against so that's not necessarily a knock on him as much as it is I think uh they're really similar players I think Zach Wilson has him in the athleticism category which is why I would put him as a little bit of a higher ceiling Well, you don't want to box score scout too much. And the interesting thing, I actually, when Low Country Bronco brought that up, the uh, touchdown interception ratio, which was, I believe was 33 to three for Zach Wilson. I thought, okay, all of that this year came against group of five or lower competition. So let's take Drew Locke. What did he do against group of five or lower competition in his last two years in touchdown interception ratio? It was 30 to two. There you go. So 
actually in terms of touchdown to INT ratio, a little bit better than, than Zach Wilson. So, I mean, I would kind of say, all right, that that is not something in Zach Wilson's favor. I mean, there are things that I do like. I would say that based on what I've seen of Zach Wilson compared to Lock in college, little bit better of a touch passer, a little bit better of a placement passer than than Drew Locke was at that same stage. Ryan, I, I disagree with you though, because I think the NFL is going to tell us that Mac Jones and Zach Wilson both have significantly higher ceilings and higher floors than Drew Locke. Because I don't think any of these I don't think either of those two are going to get close to the second round. And hey, I like Drew Locke as a top 10 pick. Uh, so, but I just think the NFL is going to say, yeah, these guys are, are not in, in Drew's league. Yeah. And but- Mac Jones, Mac Jones kind of interesting also because Zach Wilson has some mobility. Mac Jones is a classic drop back passer. And we've got, you know, yesterday we just watched Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And I wonder, sometimes I wonder with Mac Jones, I'm like, would he, been be- would he have been better served coming out 20 years ago in that era rather than the era that we're going into? Because I feel like we're kind of seeing the last stand of the pure drop back linger in the pocket passer. Zach is shaking his head. He doesn't agree, but I know he's Mr. Tom Brady and Tom Brady has lingered in, into age 43. But are we seeing kind of a sea change where mobility is going to be part of the, uh, the entry ticket? for a quarterback to succeed in where the NFL is going. No, Mace, this has nothing to do with Tom Brady. We see this all the time in the NFL where waves come and go. The, the pocket passer is not going away. Now, it is, is the mobility playing a factor and, and teams are liking that and that's a good thing? Absolutely. But it's not going to go to full mobile quarterbacks and you have to be mobile to succeed. There's still going to be those guys um, that, that succeed by being pure pocket passers. What but you have is, to have the threat, though, and I don't, and I don't, and Mac don't Jones doesn't have, have any. Mac Jones doesn't have any kind of threat, but almost any defensive back will tell you that when a quarterback can move, you have you have to account for that, and it does make it a little bit more difficult because you have to account for the fact that this quarterback could take off and get the first down with his feet and get to the sideline. There's Regardless no- of where Mac Jones is drafted, I want to circle back to your ceiling floor thing. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that he has a higher floor than Drew Locke because Drew Locke has already outperformed his floor, in my opinion. Um, the floor for any quarterback that comes into the NFL is they don't ever – they don't make it. Um, so by being a guy who started over a full season, I think Drew Locke has already outperformed his floor. He's also already shown you that he can have a 99 QBR in a game, which shows you what his ceiling is. So – it's going to be really hard for a quarterback to come in and show they have a higher ceiling. And it's definitely easy for a quarterback to come in and show they have a, a lower floor. Well, I don't think the floor, I mean, then yeah, you can make that argument that Drew Locke has a higher floor than Trevor Lawrence. So I don't think that argument is, is, is uh, not, not your argument, but looking at someone's floor is that important in this. Uh, and I think when we talk about ceiling, I think we need to do it on a bigger stretch, whether that's eight games or 16 games, because we know that Drew Locke's ceiling in one game can be incredibly high, but that really doesn't mean anything in terms of if he's, if he's a long-term viable answer. I think it means a, a lot when you talk about a player's ceiling that they've shown that at the highest level of football, they can play that type of game. And what is one game in, in, in a season get you? And this isn't about Drew Locke. This is just about how we evaluate everyone. Well, right. That's more of a conversation about whether you want to talk about ceilings and floors. Because 
a player's ceiling is the best they can possibly be. Right. But I I think, I think when we talk about ceilings, it needs to be extended longer than just one game. Well, right. But the ceiling is if you can do it in one game, you've shown that your ceiling is you can figure out a way to do that every game. But I think that's, I think that's the important thing is, can you do that every single game? Right. That's a question about whether or not a player can reach their ceiling. Consistently. Because what you've said is Drew Locke has reached his ceiling. No, I'm saying he's shown that his ceiling is very high. Now the question is, can he reach that ceiling or anywhere close to it? Yeah, and I just I just think when we think about the ceiling conversation, it needs to, the sample size needs to be extended more. Because I'm sure, like 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 let's look at uh, oh who was the quarterback for the Packers that came in in Week 17 and then got paid by the Seahawks? Matt Flynn. Matt, Matt Flynn. Flynn. He showed that he had an incredibly high ceiling for one game. And what did that mean? It, it meant absolutely nothing for his career. And I'm not trying to make the claim that someone's ceiling matters anything for their career. Then that's what I'm saying. When we talk about the ceiling, we need to make it make matter and have it mean something more than just one game. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's when I think I, of that, a ceiling, I, I think of a ceiling over the course of a season. What is this guy's best season? I mean, almost any quarterback can come in on a – can have a one-off amazing game. No, if they're not in the NFL, quarterback can do that. Brandon Matt Allen Flynn. did. Matt Brandon Flynn. Allen had a <laughs> Brandon Allen had a, a game. You know, I'm not saying that what Brandon and Allen Brandon. did it, it, it was in 2019 was magnificent in the parlance of Zach of Zach, but he had a magnificent game in 2020. That's the thing. Almost any quarterback that is good enough to be on an NFL roster can have a one-off game where they have a rating of like 145 or 150 and they have four touchdowns and, and no picks. So I'm thinking when I think of ceiling and floor, I'm thinking of what, what is their ceiling over a season? What is their floor over a season? Because like, for example, maybe let's say Drew Locke worked out like Matt Ryan. And I think you'd probably be very happy with that. Matt Ryan's ceiling was literally league MVP. And that, but that we're looking at the, we're looking back on his career now because he's at the end of it. So we're able to see what his ceiling was. What I'm saying is a player's ceiling is based off of what they are capable of. We already know that Drew Locke is capable of being elite in an NFL game. So that well, is then, that, that isn't Brandon Allen's ceiling. He was elite for a game this year. Can't we say the same thing about him? That's why it's probably better to define ceilings and floors based on a season rather than a single game. Yeah, I do. I, I do see more of Mace's side with this. That the point is that not, you're projecting though. No, not with project what a player's ceiling is. Not with a Brandon Allen and, and a Drew Locke. I mean, you can point to both. Brandon of those. Allen and, and is also, also limited in his tools. So you got, you can bring that into account as well. Was was Matt Flynn the the Seahawks didn't believe Matt Flynn was limited in his tools. I mean, I I, I just think uh, I I just think that again more on Mace's side, where I think really anyone that's in the NFL can go out there and have one great game. And so I think this if okay, you're looking two? at his, Drew's had two. Uh, right. And how many guys get the opportunities that Drew has of what, 18, 20 starts like that? Right. Which, again, goes to the level of his floor being a lot higher than most guys. 
Sure. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on Drew and and say that his floor is so low. Um, But I also don't think that you can say just because a guy has played um, like last year, Ryan, I remember we had this conversation about who would you take Joe or Joe Burrow uh, or, or Drew Locke after Drew Locke had his five starts. And you said you would take Drew Locke because he's had those five starts and proven he can do that uh, in the NFL. Well, then you're probably doing the same with, with with the same argument with any of the guys in this draft this year. And you do have to project some uh, w- with this stuff. Well, no, because now Drew Locke has shown a much lower floor than he did last year. Just in okay. terms of if he doesn't put it together, what it can look like. Last year, all we saw was he looks very good. Seven to three touchdown to interception ratio with an extremely high ceiling, which was the Texans game. Right. Um, so again, There's a lot that goes into this, but I think there's a a thing that goes on with draft prospects where everyone talks about, oh, they have this high ceiling and no one thinks about the fact that so many of these guys come in and and never even cut it. No, absolutely. So the floor is like Paxton Lynch or worse for most quarterbacks when they come into the NFL, other than like a Trevor Lawrence, who I don't think there's any chance of him going there no i mean paxton that that's an extreme case i mean paxton was like one of the worst first round picks ever so sure could that be someone's yes but history wouldn't tell you that that that's their floor i would say most first round picks get get a sizable opportunity and the reason why trevor lawrence is generational was because you could probably his floor is probably league average starter among 32 starters He's 16th or 17th. That his, that, that's likely as low as he goes. And that's, and that's why he, that's why he's a sure, the, the sure number one pick because those generational quarterbacks, you know, that if they don't work out maybe to be elite, that they're still somebody that you can build a team around. I mean, you know, it, and it took actually took Andrew Luck a while before he was really kind of pushing toward that, that upper tier. And if he'd had a better offensive line in front of him, I'm sure he, he would have. But Andrew Luck delivered, you know, delivered seven seasons of mostly very good play for the Colts, even though he wasn't in the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers conversation. Yeah. In the end, I just think a player's ceiling is defined by what they are capable of. Okay. So let's say, let's, I mean, it's a flawed (laughs) metric, but let's just say passer rating, right? Wouldn't you say like a 120 or better passer rating for a game is, is excellent? Sure. All right. Okay. So if we're talking about ceilings in the last two years, Drew Locke has two of those games, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So does Brandon Allen. Mm-hmm. So does Teddy Bridgewater. So does Jacoby Brissett. So does, I mean, so does Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, even, even Kyle Allen has a game like that. Even Mason Rudolph had a game like that. Nick Mullins did. Yeah. And I, mean, I think it's, and that, again, and that's, it's a- that's, if you do a great, if you do it great for a game, it's kind of, or two, it's kind of a, it's kind of a one-off. I think that's what I mean, that the, is your the larger the sample. Point. That's your single get. That is your ceiling for one day. Right. It's be- so if you eventually it's, figure out that you can do that consistently, then now you're that guy. And that's, but the thing is what we're saying is that the ceiling for Brandon Allen and Drew Locke, if you're defining it by what you do for one day, the ceilings have proven to be similar. That's why you take a step back and look at what they do over the course of a season, because we know that Brandon Allen over a season, isn't going to a full season, doesn't have the ceiling that Drew Locke does. But the, 
you you can't just look at a passer rating and say that's the ceiling. You have to look at the tools. You have to look at the arm strength. You have to look at the ability. Which is why you step back and look at it over a year rather than just one one game. One game can but be an outlier. But we're talking about draft prospects here. So how are we going to uh, talk about their ceiling over the course of a year? Uh, you talk about what what they did it, over the course of a full college season. I mean, if, and again, the question with Zach Wilson and it's viable is the level of competition. I mean, because one thing, like I mentioned the, the TD interception ratio of Drew Locke, you don't want to do too much box score scouting, but clearly Drew Locke put up ungodly numbers and against, against group of five and FCS teams and his numbers again, his production against the SEC did not match what he did. And you can look at the 2017 season. A lot of, you know, the, the, the 44 touchdowns was bolstered by having like seven touchdowns against uh, Missouri state and six against Idaho. But if you're going to say that you have to take a full season of play to Matt, to go to a player, to try and figure out a player's ceiling and you're comparing a player who's played in the NFL versus a player that, that, that hasn't played in the NFL, then you can't have that conversation ever. Well, and it's about projecting. Or else, it's about projecting. Or else yeah. Drew Locke's ceiling is whatever, 46 touchdowns to six interceptions. And and in I NFL. just and, – and, Ryan, do you disagree with me that uh, that the NFL is going to say that, uh, that Zach Wilson and Mac Jones are better than Drew Locke? Because I, I do think that they will both be first-round picks, whereas every team passed up on Drew. Yeah, I mean, that's circumstantial in terms of – the teams that are drafting in the season, but I'm not convinced that Mac, uh, Mac Jones will be a first round pick. No, you don't think he'll. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll find out. I think he How about Trey Lance though. Drafted above. It, it, Trey Lance for sure. And, and there's the guy, I mean, if we're talking about skill set ceiling, I mean, that's the, that's the guy who's probably going to be, who, who's going to be the subject of the most conversation here, because you, if you are projecting it's entirely on skill sets and entirely on, on what you can, what you can do to help him take the next steps, because, you know, there, there are things that when you, you, that when you start breaking him down, clearly he's got a lot of work to do. He looks like a guy who has played one full college season and needs quite a bit more seasoning that the, the, there are raw tools there, but he's, he, he's got to work on There's, there's some happy feet there as well. For example, that he's going to have to correct. I think that his ceiling is the second highest in the draft, but his floor is, I mean, he could, I mean, his floor is Paxton Lynch, Dan McGuire. I mean, he could completely bust. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, I could make the argument that Mac Jones has the highest ceiling in this draft because no, the two most absolutely because the two most important things look ha- how athletic is tom brady not athletic how athletic was peyton manning not athletic these matt ryan's matt staffords these guys are not athletic and they had tons of success in the nfl and are still having tons of success in the nfl right now the two most important thing in, in my mind the most important thing in a quarterback is decision making what we've seen from mac jones and of course you can bash him for things but he has had fantastic the best decision-making when he's got his time to start in college. Again, there's other, there's things you can poke at that, but in the end, he has had the best decision-making in college football and playing at the highest level of competition as well. They weren't playing Chattanooga state this year, all sec teams until they were in the, the championship. And then the second most important trait accuracy. He has that more than anyone else as well. So absolutely. I can make a case that he has the highest ceiling. You're trying you to against Chattanooga, a- Zach. <laughs> what? You're- 
What do you have against Chattanooga, Zach? Oh, a lot of people typically <laughs> point at Alabama to play the Chattanooga's I, of the world. Not this year. They've, they've, they've always got that throwaway game in November against but an no, FCS school. No, they, yes. that's not, what I'm saying. Not, that's not what I mean. This not this year, year. Not not this year they didn't. But um, You're trying yeah. to compare, though, yeah. a, 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 a player who is going to be a rookie to guys who are playing an entirely different sport basically at this point because they've played in the NFL so long they understand defenses so well they can't be confused they can't be tricked you know guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees are able to succeed at the end of their careers with weaker arms and you know uh, lack of mobility because of all the information that they've stacked up over 15 years of playing in the league Mac Jones is not going to be able to walk into the league and know where to go with the ball on every single play like those guys do, or almost every single play. If he has that incredible decision-making, why not? And no, is he going to go through rookie struggles? Did Tom Brady, did Peyton Manning? Did, uh, yes, I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to walk in as a rookie and be those guys, Ryan. Abs- absolutely not. But, but what it, I- that that's the most important thing is decision-making for me and processing. And he he process what I've heard is he processes information incredibly quick. That, to me, even if you can throw mobility in there, which you should, that that mobility is not the most important thing. It is decision making, and I think that will succeed in the NFL, regardless of what the era is. In today's day and age, though, those guys just don't make it past that learning curve. I don't. I don't believe that's true. And, and I don't. So what you're saying is we will never see a pocket passer again, and I don't think that's true. No, no, I don't think we'll see a pocket passer uh, with a average to below average arm right uh, uh, just a true uh, pocket six feet at a high level yeah well right. i mean a lot of these pocket passers have rockets and i i, I think mac jones passes the i, I don't think uh, i think there's just a level a bar where your arm has to be and i think mac has that yeah, yeah there's I a baseline but biggest, yeah i think that's our probably our biggest disagreement on him i don't think he does and the other okay. thing is I think every quarterback, you know, most quarterbacks want to function from the pocket and that's the primary thing, but I don't think you're going to be, have the success that others may have. If you have zero running threat, you've got to you know, like Drew Locke has the ability to, to go get eight yards, get to the sticks and keep and and keep the chains moving even when nobody is open. And that's, that's something that I think really helped him down the stretch was his willingness to take off. And Mac Jones, he is a zero in terms of that ability at this point. Well, there's no doubt Josh Allen had the Josh Allen had that by his side and Drew Locke didn't even have that in terms of Josh right. Allen having like 20 rushing touchdowns or something that really helped guide him through that process. Now, right. if, if, jo- if Mac Jones starts at the Josh Allen type of passer, then yeah, he's not going to make it in the NFL. But what I'm saying is he's going to be leaps and bounds above where Josh Allen was as a passer at the beginning of his career. So he's not going to need those 20 rushing touchdowns to help him. Well, he's not going to need him, but at the same time, he's not going to, no defense is going to have to play it safe against Mac Jones. They can, they can just drop back and cover there. Nobody is going to be worried about him keeping the drive moving with his legs there. It's, it's only, it's only his arm. And that's, and that's the thing that has kind of changed. Like, I mean, Russell Wilson, he wants to do everything from the pocket. He wants to win from the pocket, but he can still take off and get you, get you eight or nine yards and, uh, and, and keep the drive moving. And so that, that's the thing that, that concerns me with Mac Jones is that he, he has, he has baseline arm strength. He's fine. He's above that baseline, but he doesn't even have baseline mobility. 
right yeah, now. What, and that's, what this boils, that's down, to, what this boils yeah. down to is I just think that pocket passers are still going to be able to succeed in the NFL, and you guys don't believe a pure pocket passer will ever be able to succeed, at least that's for the well, first I don't believe Well, I don't true. believe a pure pocket passer with a below average to below average arm can succeed. Uh, and the, and the thing is, you've got to be there long enough to you know, have seen everything. One of the things that, that, say, Tom Brady has is that he doesn't have to be mobile because he has already – he's seen everything. And so he's – even at, at 43, he's processing at a higher level than you can say he has before. Peyton Manning processed at an extremely high level in Denver, probably even better than he did in Indianapolis because he had more accumulated knowledge. Will Mac Jones be able to be a quarterback long enough to where he can basically – take that lack of mobility out and be, and be able to process things and win and win games just with his arm being fine and his mind. That's, I don't know if he's going to have enough time there. So that's you don't believe yeah. that type of, of quarterback will be here moving forward as young guys, they won't be able to succeed. Yeah. I, I, I think the game, the game is evolving and I'm, Frankly, I think we may be as far as a guy who has who has just no rushing factor whatsoever. I mean, Mahomes can take Josh Allen's kind of the extreme, but you know, but you have like like I said, Drew Locke can take off and get you some yards. Having no threat with his legs whatsoever, I think we're probably at the stage where we're maybe moving away from that. And maybe this this moment from Tom Brady is kind of the last stand yeah, for those types of quarterbacks. And that's just the difference. Yeah. Low Country Bronco yeah. says, uh, we're staying on the same kind of thing here. He says, real quick, RK, I said it last week when you're out. I think the best comp for Mac Jones is Tony Romo. What do you think, Low Country Bronco? Well, Tony Romo is a better athlete uh, than than Mac Jones is. Um, I, I can see little bits of it there. I, per- personally, for me, a better comp is like Chad Pennington. Really accurate passer who was able to stick around in the NFL for a while. Um, but – didn't have a very high ceiling again Hmm. i think i think ceiling comes down to uh to decision making chad pennington was an elite decision maker right and and that would be the the disrespectful way to look at mac jones again you could you since since you're looking at a guy in the past you could also say a peyton manning tom brady if you just wanted to say good decision makers i guess (laughs) Next this one is from fasting. I, 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 we're not getting a court on this in the off season. I think I, I don't know that, that uh, RK are ever going to be on team Mac the way that Zach well, is. And, and again, I'm really, I really don't want to like be a hater of, of players because I think there is a situation in which Mac Jones can succeed in the NFL. Um, but I just think it's a very specific situation. Uh, you know, he's got to go to the right place. Uh, I think he's like every quarterback. Totally, totally, totally. That, and again, that's why I, you know, because if you if you get on this thing early on in the draft process where you're all over a dude and you hate and you hate and you hate and then he lands in the right spot, well, then you end up looking like an idiot. So I think there's an opportunity for him to succeed. I don't think it didn't sound like it. I just I just said he could be Chad Pennington. That's not a successful first round pick. Uh, I don't even know if he's a first round pick. Okay. Okay. Fair. <laughs> uh but Asper. i just <laughs> sorry like i said there is Thought a situation we su- where he su- can succeed it's just a narrow to me it's a narrow uh, a lot more narrow than some of the other quarterbacks in this draft and that and right. and that's fair I, I see where you're coming from all right moving on casper fellas 
with Peyton talking about the direction of the team being draft and developed, wouldn't that make you think that both Justin Simmons and Philip Lindsay will be signed to extensions rather than let to hit the market? How say you? Not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think I it helps. It helps, but you know, those guys have already been drafted and, and developed. Um, so while I think he didn't necessarily say like, we want to keep our players here. If he said that, then I'd be a little bit more um, convinced on it. I'd be really interesting. I'd be really interested to, to see his independent evaluation of Philip Lindsay um, and whether or not he believes the Broncos have used him correctly, whether that he thinks that he's an asset moving forward or whether he's more along the lines of the way the Broncos have treated Philip Lindsay over the past year or so. We'll yeah. probably get that, an answer on that quickly because the, the tender that they give him as a restricted free agent is going to determine what they think of him. And if it's an original round tender, which for Phil would be undrafted, there's your answer. Right. And also that would be your answer on if he's staying around or not. I think if it's an original round tender, uh, he will be gone in the free agent market. If it's a second round tender, then he's staying here. Yeah. Phil, Phil Lindsay, New England Patriot. (laughs) Justin Simmons. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about that quote uh, from the Woody page article that said the Broncos are going to take a step back before they take three steps forward. That, that step back to me would involve something like letting Justin Simmons walk. Absolutely. Not only him, Shelby Harris walk. It would a step back would basically mean using this year to create cap room and cash and, and cash flow for 2022. It would, it would basically be, saying we're not going to resign many guys. I mean that that's what that that's what that would tell me because if they bring back Justin Simmons, if they bring back Shelby Harris and then they add a better backup quarterback behind uh, Drew Locke or to compete with Drew Locke, it's hard to imagine this team being worse than it was this past year when they lost so many guys to injuries. Guys, I I can't think of that and taking a step back and think if that's the route they go and that's what George Payton is thinking, that he has confidence in Drew Locke to be the guy moving forward. Because if you think that you have a guy that is developing and getting better and can be your guy of the future, then you don't think you're taking a step back, even if you are letting guys like Justin Simmons walk. So this could be, you know, maybe it's not called the rebuild, but if this is what they're thinking, taking a step back before going forward, that's what this is. It, It is a rebuild. And maybe then, George Payton says, we don't need a quarterback this year because you know what? I do think we'll have a top 10 pick again next year. And then that's when we'll get our quarterback. And let's be clear. The the step back thing isn't coming from anyone with the Broncos. It's not coming from George Payton. It's coming from uh, what Woody Page said was like an unnamed executive around the league. Right. Which could be anyone. Um, My advice to the Broncos would be, even if you think you're going to have a top 10 pick next year, if you're, if you're thinking you're going, if you're thinking that you're going to use that on a quarterback, just use your top 10 pick this year on a quarterback. Because I think the class is much better. Totally agree. Totally agree. Also, and maybe that guy's Trey Lance and you give him a year to, to season up a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Very much. Uh, next one coming in from Be- Beavis and Jake Butthead. Gents just subscribed. Yep. Go ahead and say it. Ladies and gentlemen, we, uh, 
We got we him. got him. I've actually been a longtime lurker of the pod for some time now. It feels like just yesterday I was listening to the dynamic duo of Ryan and Zach. I've been a jo- it's been a joy to see how much y'all have grown and what an incredible addition Mace has been. We haven't seen the big three like this since LeBron took his talents to South <laughs> Beach. I actually tend to listen to the pods at night to fall asleep, but they all end up being so entertaining that I don't actually fall asleep. Although I lose an hour or so of sleep every night, I always learn a thing or two from y'all. Thank you so much. We love having you roll with us and boy this one's probably keeping you up at night that's for sure now on to my (laughs) first ever question the broncos are in the midst of a four straight losing seasons the last back-to-back losing seasons was in 74 75 of course the game of football has evolved over the years but is there anything that sticks out between the current broncos team and the 74 75 broncos team that have many similarities unstable quarterback play revolving door of coaches etc thank you now, then he, he goes and mentions the next comment. What he meant was 71-72, because actually the Broncos did have a winning season in 74, had a losing season in 75. So if we take 71-72, and then we even kind of take the two years before that. So, you know, they, they had, you know, of course, in the midst of that, toward the end of it, they had a coaching change. Lou Saban, first he left as head coach, then he left as general manager. He handled both, uh, in, and John Ralston was in by 1972. But the thing that sort of defines the Broncos of those years is really poor quarter, poor, mediocre to poor quarterback play. And you start going through the names of guys who started like Pete Liskey and Steve Tensey and Don Horn and Steve Ramsey. And then it's not until the last year of those losing seasons, the first under John Ralston, where you get somebody that Broncos fans actually have familiarity with. And that's Charlie Johnson, who is in the ring of fame. And Charlie Johnson, of course, they acquired in trade. So it really starts there. The Broncos at quarterback were really a shambles the last time they, they, they were in, the, in this stretch. And you look at the, the last four years, Drew Locke, the jury is out, but you go through Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen. There you go. It's it's instability at the quarterback position and uh, and then below average performance from that quarterback position. I'm asking for a friend. If you could have any MVP in league history join the Broncos tomorrow, who would it be? This is so easy. I'm going to choose the unmobile floppy arm Peyton Manning to join the Denver Broncos. I too would join, uh, would take prime Peyton Manning to join the Denver Broncos. Well, that's the thing. It's prime. I mean, if we're getting uh-huh. them right now, I'm taking Patrick Mahomes, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but if we're talking about in, in their prime, uh, you, you go with the guy that, you know, right. And you, you know, that Peyton Manning, even let's say Peyton, prime Peyton Manning is 2013 the best single season any quarterback has ever had in my opinion there you go that's what yeah. i want man it yeah. is crazy how how far patrick mahomes is up that list though i was going to say yeah you're not wrong if Top you say patrick three? mahomes no you're definitely not wrong no but so who so who's the other one ryan if obviously peyton and and mahomes are there who's the second or third i mean you're putting brady in the conversation obviously yeah. and john elway Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I think those are, you are know, we your ad- top four. Are we adjusting for era or no? Well, I think you kind of have to, or else then you're, you might be left with Patrick okay. Mahomes being your only option. 
All right. If we're adjusting for era, I'll throw in Johnny Unitas. Because okay. like, if you say that Johnny, where Unitas was relative to the rest of the quarterbacks is where he would be today, there's a case for him. Because in terms of accuracy, in terms of touchdown interception, I mean, that was an era where most guys were had more interceptions than TDs, were completing, you know, 48 49 percent and and unitas is right is right there at 59 60 which back in his day was fairly unheard of yeah yeah and and good good option there it's uh man that's fun to think about though like that asking for a friend next one from casper fellas can any of you guys present a good argument as to why john lynch is not yet in the hall of fame i know mace has followed his career close with lynch playing for both tampa and denver so he has to have an opinion on this well, the, the interesting thing with Tampa Bay, I mean, he was on some great defenses down there, but it probably hasn't helped him that that defense has been recognized already as two Hall of Famers in Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks. So it's like, okay, do we bring in a third guy? And Lynch at safety, you know, you have, there are, there are big hits and we all remember them, but the thing that he lacks, and I think one reason why Steve Atwater, even though he had to wait way too long, is in and John Lynch isn't, is that you reflect on Steve Atwater and you realize that he has a defining moment. And the defining moment, of course, is the uh, the hit on Christian Okoye on Monday Night Football. And then, of course, uh, you know, literally get knocking three people out <laughs> late in the Super Bowl on a big play and, and having maybe his best overall game in Super Bowl 32. And these are things that John Lynch doesn't quite have. The other thing with Lynch, he got kind of a late start. He didn't really become a full-time starter playing at a high level until year four. And then while he lingered and was pretty and was pretty good for most of his time was with Denver, I think if the Broncos had gotten to Super Bowl 40 or had won Super Bowl 40, he'd already be in. Losing that game to Pittsburgh in the AFC championship is probably, is probably something that on some level is a reason why he's still waiting. Fair or not. There you go. Right. Yep. That is a right, yeah. complete of an answer as you can get on that question. <laughs> yeah. And, and safety, it's hard. I mean, you don't, it's, it's not as easy to quantify safeties as it is a lot of other positions. Safety and offensive linemen are kind of analogous yep. in terms of how we view them. You don't have a lot of stats, so it's, presence it's how how they made you feel yeah exactly and we saw obviously that come up uh with uh with steve atwater for so long right yeah and 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 momentum and what's interesting is i think lynch i think lynch will get in eventually but one of the things i'm hearing is that momentum for his safety this year is actually tilting toward Leroy butler of the packers who played at the same time as steve yeah absolutely all right, guys, uh, exciting news here as we have a new partner that anyone who listens uh, to this podcast can use. Nobody likes sitting in a doctor's office or even going to the doctor for that matter, but we all need to take care, care of ourselves. So we're talking to you about Zoom care. Uh, video care is like a trip to Zoom care. Just from your couch, you can see here and chat with a doctor, just like a traditional doctor's office visit. You can get secure access to urgent primary and specialist care, including mental health care. Video care is covered by most private insurers, usually with a copay. Visit zoomcare.com to get started. That's Z-O-O-M-C-A-R-E.com to get started. There's nothing better than getting a diagnosis from your talk, 
from your own living room, except for maybe not needing a diagnosis at all. Uh, so check them out today and see just how easy it is. Zoomcare.com for all the details you need. Guys, you know, especially now, uh, going into a doctor's office or, uh, you know, any place like that is a little unsettling just because you're worried about what might be going on around there. So, uh, you know, you can talk to a doctor and um, get some important information just from your couch with Zoom Care. And speaking of taking care of yourself, check out our friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group to get your teeth cleaned and fixed. We've had several DNVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental over the years, and they've told us that they absolutely treat them like family. Send you birthday cards, and when you're there, they really treat you like they really care for you. Our director of sales, Lindsay, had her wisdom teeth removed over at Green Mountain Dental last year, and the dentist personally called her to follow up with her a couple of days later. That is the family care that they're talking about over at Green Mountain Dental. And when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam they'll give you a free sonicare toothbrush the best toothbrush out there they'll give you for free just for going to the dentist that is the best deal in town you can get they're only 15 minute drive from downtown denver and a long time dnvr partner so make sure to check them out that's green mountain dental group all right next one here from chahuha gentlemen what about sam bradford for a veteran hedge not that I prefer this, but there is familiarity with both Peyton and Shermer. Not to mention he played some of his best football of his career with the, with the Vikings. How old is Sam Bradford? Is he even still in the league? Uh, that was He's my out question. Of the league. Uh, yeah. was he, did he even play last year? He didn't play last year. He didn't play the year before. It's been uh, – you go back to 2018 under Mike McCoy in Arizona for the last work that Sam Bradford uh, has. He's – I don't know if he's filed his paperwork, but he's – basically retired uh, at this point and uh it came up with arizona i don't th- i don't think the knee that he that he tore the acl in twice the left knee and he had subsequent surgery in 2017 i don't think his left knee would pass anybody's medical guys it's this just, would it's, 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 we don't even it's just not a it's not an option this would be yeah, the yeah. most sam bradford move though come out of retirement for a 10 million dollar payday i mean come on just, just add it, just add to his salary <laughs> if hey look if he were healthy sure i mean no no yeah look you, no Never. i'm just saying not i wouldn't pay him 10 million but if he he was actually pretty good for the vikings when he was there i mean they that was what five years ago exactly that's what i mean if you could tell me that sam bradford could complete 70 percent of his passes the way he did in minnesota actually the only guys with higher single season completion percentage the only guy who's ever done it is drew Brees. wait wait so if you could give me that kind of accuracy i'd love it i just don't know that he could step in and do it after all this time wait so mace you would be okay with a guy that has good decision making and good accuracy and no mobility huh interesting Uh, as a veteran hedge i'm not uh... as a band-aid i'm not building i'm not building my team around somebody who as as our friend ryan edwards would often say whenever sam bradford came up in free agent discussions heading into 2018 ryan always said the same thing he's made of glass he is (laughs) I would rather have Peyton Manning come back right now than Sam Bradford. Hard oh. guess. 100%. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's it's not an option at all. Um, with all oh, it's fun. To the comment, but you can find like 
like Ryan Fitzpatrick would be like your, you know, guy who's bounced around, started, been a backup, been a starter, done that sort of thing. Not as good of a decision maker, probably. Um, but, you know, he's also probably a little, not probably, he's significantly more mobile than Sam Bradford, but just about everyone is. Um, next one here from Pick Tosser 66. Congrats, makes one more win, and your Bucks are in the big show. Uh, a couple of things I wanted your guys' take on. With free agent trades and trades happening well before the draft, does the team have to decide the direction at QB at the beginning of March without knowing how the draft is going to fall? And when when do you think a, traf, a Stafford trade would happen after the draft because the Lions would need to make sure they get their guy, right? Uh, would we sign a hedge prior to the draft and see how the draft goes? Guys are going to start getting signed in March. And if the, they don't commit to a, a direction, then we could miss out on some decent options. Also, sure looks like Deshaun may be in play for someone to go get. Do you think he would waive his no trade to come to Denver? Where would uh, where he would have to battle Mahomes for the division every year? I think he could go either way. Either he wants a chance to show he's better QB than Mahomes each year, or he doesn't want to have to face him twice a year and go through him for division titles. I know Deshaun is a baller and a competitor, but I can't imagine him choosing to face Mahomes every year. Thoughts? Well, you either have Mahomes in the AFC West or you have Josh Allen in the AFC East. And I don't. And while Mahomes is probably a notch above Josh Allen. You're going to have challenges wherever you go. I mean, let's say I don't think the Bears would pull it off, but in theory, Chicago, well, you have Aaron Rodgers for potentially a few more years there. So I, I don't think that that's going to be as much of a consideration as it might seem on the surface. Also, if if you're in the AFC, your goal is to play Mahomes every year. Why? Because it means yeah. you finished first place in your division. Well, and – but guys, do you want to play Justin Herbert and Mahomes four times? Now, we don't know exactly how good Justin Herbert is, but I mean, everything we see right now, yeah, he's pretty good. So what you would be dealing with in Miami or in the Jets is a rookie probably uh, with, you know, maybe Justin Fields in there um, or, and um, or Tua. But so you really only have one really good quarterback that you know of right now. I don't now, think the thing is, yeah. is good enough yeah. right now to sway a decision like that. Well, and the other thing the is best rookie season. You, I'm just ever. saying, I don't think the, do you, I don't do you think want a quarterback who's even thinking about that though? Do you want a quarterback who's even thinking, well, if I go here, I've got Mahomes, or if I go here, uh, I got Josh Allen. I want a quarterback that just says, I, I don't care who it is. I believe I'm better than those guys. And I think that's what Deshaun Watson would think that I don't think he would look at Patrick Mahomes and say, Oh, well, uh, I, don't really want to face that. I don't want to face Justin Herbert. I think Deshaun Watson has enough confidence in his talent to where he'd say, yeah, that's fine. I'll beat him. Sure. So, but I, I think as a, as a human, you would, that would, that would be something you would think about. It certainly shouldn't be uh, the final decision, Mace. I agree with you with that, yeah. but wouldn't you want the path of least resistance if everything else is equal? So, I mean, I, I don't think everything else will be equal. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to boil down to that, but then uh, my argument against that would Mace would be, why would he not weigh that into the decision? At least. I think he in that would case, thing, shouldn't he want to go to the NFC? Uh, shouldn't he only yes. want the NFC then rather than the AFC? Sure. Like, I, absolutely. He, he might, if, if he's thinking about that, he might be saying, well, um, look at all these guys. I'm, I'm going to go to the NFC. I'm going to be the best guy. The same reason why a free agent might choose the Eastern Conference over in the NBA over the Western Conference, although maybe it's starting to shift a little bit. You should choose, um, you should choose the NFC if competition is something. My point, though, is like, Deshaun Watson could objectively look at Patrick Mahomes and say, he's better than me. That's uh, like, that's 
that's going to weigh into my decision. He's not going to look at Justin Herbert and say, like, I'm worried about playing Justin Herbert. He's going to look at Justin Herbert and say, I'm better than Justin Herbert. I can beat him. Whereas he can look at Patrick Mahomes and say, okay, that guy, yeah, I've got work to do before I'm as good as that guy. No, I just, I just meant in a way of if he looks at the NFC or the AFC East, he says, yeah, there's Josh Allen and pretty much no one else as of right now. If he looks at the AFC West, I think he does notice Justin Herbert. I don't think you can't notice him, but I, I do think he has that same mentalities that you're saying, Ryan. What I'm just saying is there's two good promising quarterbacks, promising at, at the minimum in the AFC West. Right now, you just have one uh, in the AFC East. For sure. And, and so, yeah. guys, to, to get to his Stafford question, uh, I personally think Stafford would be traded before the draft. Um, wouldn't even be surprised to see it leak before uh, free agency even starts, just like we did. We, we saw with Joe Flacco a couple of years ago. But I do think that that trade would actually happen before the draft, not after. I think it would, too. And the other thing that's part of that, he mentions, would you sign the hedge prior to the draft or see how the draft goes? You are signing the hedge in March. You're, you're, you're doing it then. And then if you draft a guy, if things fall to where you, you end up picking a guy, then you can adapt from there. Maybe you're, you're riding with three quarterbacks. I mean, there was a year in 2017 where, uh, you know, the, the Vikings had on their roster, they, they had Bridgewater and they had Bradford and they had, they had Case Keenum. And in 2017, in 13, they had uh, Christian Ponder and they had Matt Castle and then they brought Josh Freeman in later. So George Payton has had three guys, has had three guys who could conceivably start before. So just because the Broncos might sign a hedge, it doesn't mean they're necessarily out of the draft conversation. From Greendale, human being. Good morning. You know, I saw a Bleacher Report article give the Broncos a D for the 2020 draft. After the full season, even though we lost about half of the draft class to injury, what would your grades be? One of my hopes for this upcoming draft was players with easier names to pronounce so the national broadcasters will stop butchering them. But with a GM who can't even pronounce his own name correctly, I think that's going to be a bust. Also, I've been doing a lot of mock drafts lately and looking at the draft value charts to see what we could get if we traded back. I'd say it's only worth it if you're wanting to give Locke one more year, personally. I'd want to try to get a, a first-round pick out of the trade-down scenario. So how far would you have to trade back to get a 2022 first-rounder? Is the mid to late teens too ambitious? Yeah, I think you'd probably have to drop into the 20s to get a first-rounder. Exactly. You, you look just exactly where the Broncos dropped back with the Steelers. They dropped from 10 to 20, and they weren't able to get a first-round pick back. The Broncos are at 9 now, so you got to say 10 picks won't get you a first-round pick. So, Ryan, I'm right there with you. I think mid-20s well, no. is where you can get another first-round pick. But one thing we've seen from draft trades is that if a team wants a quarterback, there's a premium that comes into play. So if they're looking at one of these quarterbacks, I think it is possible you could move down, say, eight to ten picks and get a future one as part of that deal. That's that's sort of the interesting thing with draft trades is that when one team wants a quarterback, usually that price ends up going up in the value chart. Yeah, but here, here's what I would say, though, is why nine? Why aren't they doing that at eight or seven? Because it's not like the Broncos sit right in between, uh, you know, what, where a lot of people think quarterbacks are going to go and they want to jump someone. I think that team that you may that teams may want to jump is the Panthers at seven. So whoever's sitting there at six, I could see a team really giving up some premium to go and get. Oh, I think but I think what how this happens is it probably doesn't happen before the draft. This probably happens on draft night and you see how the board falls. Let's say that, let's say the Jets are happy with Sam Darnold. 
and then maybe they they trade the pick or maybe they go in another direction. Maybe they say, okay, we want Panay Sewell. Things go a little bit differently. Maybe both Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith go early. Micah Parsons goes early. And all of a sudden, the the Broncos are, are in a position where QB4 is on their plate, and that's where you – or, or if, the, if the top four quarterbacks go and we're at QB5 and maybe Trey Lance is the last guy standing – all of a sudden you have teams that be like, okay, if I really want this guy, I'd better do it right now and make the deal. So I think it's possible the Broncos could get that haul, but I don't think that's happening until draft night. I don't think this is something that happens two weeks before. This is something that happens on the day of the draft. Right. I, I think it's, it's, it's possible. You, you can drop yes. a scenario where that happens, but I just think more likely you look at history yeah. and you say that they're falling back over 10 spots, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. That's yeah, fine. Um, I mean, it, I think it was a not a not a quarterback, but uh, was it uh, it was the Marcus Davenport deal that the Saints made, and they went from I believe twenty seven to fourteen, and there was a future one, and I believe another another pick involved with that. That was thirteen slots. That would be nine nine to twenty two. I yep, think that's exactly. the most likely, especially because some of those teams in that kind of in that in that nineteen to twenty two type of range, those are the teams that are looking long and hard at the quarterback position. As for the draft for this, as for the grade for this year's draft, it only feels right to give it an incomplete at this point. Um, we saw Jerry Judy flash his high end potential. We also saw him, you know, um, not not as good as we expected him to be at points. Um, KJ Hamler, uh, I don't really know where to put where to put him there. Uh, we saw Albert Okwebunam show that he could be great, but we didn't see it consistently. Like there's just so uh, Ojemudia was another guy who had flashes of brilliance and flashes of rookie, you know, mistakes. So it's so, it's really hard to, I don't know, I, like all, all of my good, none of my good feelings about any of the players have gone away, I guess I should say. So I, I wouldn't change the way I'd gra- I graded it originally. Here's the thing. I'm reading the, these paragraphs written and it's PFF rankings. It's, I don't think the author of this story watched a single Bronco game this year. <laughs> I, I think it, this this is this is a box score scouting type of story. Um, that wouldn't and, be a surprise. So I, if I look you're at doing that, that, then yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be a disappointing draft class just right. because of like, how little production they got, and and injuries were a huge yeah. part of that, uh, of course. Now, right, and also like. like I, he, he's probably looking at Jerry Judy and saying, okay, almost 900 yards, statistically a good season, but, and this is just probably where he's looking, but look what they could have had at Justin Jefferson uh, as well. And again, not, not fair just to do it based off of that, but that's probably, I imagine how you get the Broncos to get a D for this draft. I mean, as a graph on ocean Moody and Cushenberry, just all it mentions is the PFF grades, which I think kind of misses the point. I mean, Cushenberry clearly was playing better in the second half of the year at a position where usually it takes some time to find your footing, especially with a young quarterback. OJ Mudia did show better flashes late than he did than he did early in the season. I think this is just it's yeah, I, I read that when I read that graph, I just kind of crossed this thing off and said, this is irrelevant nonsense. Move on. And we will from Dan yes. Burke. 
hey guys, what do you think about Brandon Staley being the head coach of the Chargers? He's rumored to be bringing in Mike McDaniel as his OC too. Well, we know that's not true uh, because the 49ers just promoted him to OC, so that wouldn't happen. It's funny, back in 2019, Elway wanted Justin Herbert to be his QB, a Fangio defense, and a Shanahan offense, and now that exact setup could be in the division. Well, yeah, they could um, still add the Shanahan, someone off the Shanahan tree, I'm sure, uh, as the offensive coordinator. But, yeah, it, it's true. Um, I got to be honest, don't love the hire by the, uh, by the Chargers. Don't oh, and why, and why is that? Uh, I just I, – I don't – I don't know. I mean, obviously the uh, interview process, like you might be really blown away by something that we just don't know about Brandon Staley. But for him to go from linebackers coach to defensive coordinator on a team that has Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald – uh, to head coach, it just feels like he hasn't proven enough yet uh, to to deserve, you know, that type of rise. So I have, There's I another have to reason ask, what, especially yeah. because he played under or coached under Sean McVay. What did Sean McVay prove uh, in in his time with Washington before getting that head coaching job? I'd have to go back and look. I honestly, because the Broncos didn't even consider, I don't remember what his chops were at the time. Uh, but you know, Sean McVay was a hit that, that it was a risk and they won that risk. If I'm the chargers, I'm personally pumped about this hire getting, I mean, the, the hot, I mean, since what the middle of this season is when Brandon Staley really became the hottest name that the hottest young guy, is it a risk? Absolutely. It's a risk, but if, I, if I'm the chargers, I know I, I just need something. I need some juice in there. Uh, so personally I would like it. The one, one thing I will say is if they keep together the offensive staff that's there in the sake of continuity for Justin Herbert, I'll be a bigger fan of this, uh, of this move. If you're going to change everything up and change the offense on Justin Herbert, I would have gone for a Brian Dable or an Eric Bieniemy who are going to come in and be, you know, the quote unquote offensive genius um, to try and take Justin Herbert to another level. What I'm worried about is you bring in a defensive-minded head coach. He brings in a new offense coordinator. You change up all this stuff on Justin Herbert, and you actually end up having him take a step back. And that would well, be the a other thing. Well, the other thing, the other thing you're concerned about here, I'm finally getting my point in, is that with the if you have a defensive coach, let's you bring in an offensive coordinator, and you and he does well with Justin Herbert, then you're saying goodbye to that offensive coach maybe a year or two from now. And so you're creating a situation where you have everything tied up in your young quarterback, but you, but if he does well, you're creating a churn offensively in terms of the coaches you're going to have in there. If you have an offensive head coach with a young quarterback, then you're saying this is our philosophy and, and he's going to have consistency. I think Brandon Staley is going to be a good coach. I just don't know if it was right for this team and its situation. I thought Dayball made more sense. Yeah, that is a great point, Mace. Um, honestly, you could have a situation where you bring in an offensive coordinator. Or, yeah, and let's say he has a great season with Justin Herbert this next year. Well, then they're gone again. You've got Justin Herbert with three coordinators in three years, uh, and you you are making things more difficult on your very clear hit rookie quarterback if I were them, I would be doing anything and everything I could to make things as easy as possible on Justin Herbert. If that means keeping around your current offensive coordinator, if that means promoting Pep Hamilton to your offensive coordinator position, 
do whatever it takes to make sure he has the easiest transition possible uh, during this coaching change. And honestly, if it was me, I probably wouldn't have changed anything. That includes keeping Anthony Lynn as the head coach. Now there's a report from uh, CB the from Tom Pelissero. Pardon me, I saw it via CBS that Brandon Staley is thinking about Kevin O'Connell, who is the Rams' offensive coordinator, but he doesn't have play calling responsibilities with the Rams, and that if they can't get him, they would think about potentially uh, uh, keeping Shane Steichen, the OC with the Chargers last year. I'm with you. I would, I wouldn't mess with the offensive staff at all. You got a good thing going. It works. I'd bring Steichen back. I would definitely make sure that Pep Hamilton, your quarterback coach, what do you want, Pep? I mean, name your price. I would not let go of him under any circumstances. This is, I mean, as a Broncos fan, you are crossing your fingers and praying that the Chargers get Kevin O'Connell as their offensive coordinator and not keep things as the status quo because very clearly the status quo is working for Justin Herbert. Uh, you mm-hmm. want to take the chance that they change up the scheme and it's not a fit or as good of a fit, and he takes a step back. Yeah, I mean, the, the Chargers just have to be thinking that Justin Herbert is so good that, that he is above that. And now it's tough for, for you got to be really good to be above uh, ch- constant change like that. But they, they clearly must believe that he is above that or else you're right. You, you probably would have won a continuity or you would have at, l- at least looked for future continuity with the head coach being an offensive guy. You look at all of these young quarterbacks who are blowing up uh, and most specifically the two who are about to meet in the AFC championship game, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. The one thing that is that uh, those two share in common, they've had the same offensive scheme every single year they've been in the NFL. And I think it makes a huge difference towards a player's development to not have to learn a new scheme during the offseason. So we'll see. It, it is interesting. That hire kind of came out of nowhere. They did a good job keeping that under wraps. How many jobs did Brandon Staley interview for? I'm not could... sure off the top of my head. Um, I know in person it was only with the Chargers um, because he was eliminated and then they hired him the very next day. Yeah, He got to the second interview with the Chargers. He uh, did the Texans and um... – they were, he was scheduled to go to Philadelphia today. Interesting. And interview for their job. But of course, now that's off the table. We'll see. We'll see how it works out for him. I am highly skeptical. I thought it was going to be Dable, and that was going to be a scary combination with what Dable did with, with Josh Allen. You think Josh Allen isn't pumping his fist today? Oh, my God. Amazing. I mean, this him. is the best news for him. Mm-hmm. amazing day for him is dable gonna have any interest from the eagles i don't know uh we'll see what happens it sounds like though the top like because he would probably be the top remaining candidate and there was a report that said like he'll be the top coach next year so it kind of sounds like none of the top candidates are all that excited about the eagles or texans jobs which the texans one certainly makes sense just with all their dysfunction and the eagles obviously they're in jail they're in jail right now with their quarterback position yeah i mean that that has a ton of dysfunction with the most important position yep 
Next one from Illinois Bronco. What's up, fellas? The offseason is just around the corner, and there are a lot of moves the Broncos could make. What are some transactions you guys would like to see this offseason? Here are a few that I would like to benefit the team quite a bit. As much as it pains me to say, don't pick up Von Miller's option. Use that extra money to re-sign other players on the team. Harris, Lindsey, Simmons. Now for the game changer. Trade for Deshaun Watson. Obviously, whatever it takes. Two first-rounders, three second-rounders, Drew Locke, Bryce Callahan, and Tim Patrick. That's a start. If they want more, give it to them. Sign a free agent corner, get linebacker depth, and I think we're set. We'll love to hear you guys' in-depth thoughts on this, but I realize you may have other topics to discuss. Keep up the solid coverage. Appreciate you guys. Yes, if that's on the table, my entire plan is trade for Deshaun Watson and nothing else matters. <laughs> that would certainly help a lot. And he, here's my advice to people on putting together trade packages for Deshaun Watson. You have to do something that makes you uncomfortable. I get so many people saying, how about this and this and this? And I, and I ask them, I say, you're so willing to give that up that it's too easy. It has to make you be uncomfortable. Would you trade two first, two seconds, Drew Locke, Bryce Callahan, Tim Patch? Easy. You would do that. So instead of Bryce Callahan, Tim Patrick, and Drew Locke, do Drew Locke, Bradley Chubb, Corton Sutton, and three first. How uncomfortable you know, are you now? If you're uncomfortable, then that may be where the discussion starts with the with the Texans. You this know, someone this weekend. Go ahead. Right, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, it's it's weird for me though because there's nothing that could make me uncomfortable. Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so I can't even do that exercise. <laughs> go ahead, Mace. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, Ray City Bronco. Hey, guys, including the Broncos game in 2019, Patrick Mahomes has now been injured twice on short yardage designed QB runs. Do you think the Chiefs may rethink this tactic considering the hefty investment they've placed in him? Well, they'd be uh, smart, too. Absolutely, you rethink this. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. Heck, do what you did at the end of the game with Chad Henney. Roll him out. Well, even then, you just you don't want him. Exp- I mean, Chad Henney took a big hit on that play. Uh, or you're talking about the last play of the game? Yeah, with the fourth down rollout. Yeah, the last, yeah, important play of the game. Yeah, I mean, wow, I can't believe they did that. Uh, I I could have maybe seen going for it. The fact that they passed the ball blew my mind. There's so many things that could go wrong. Get batted down at the line. He could drop it. He could miss the throw. But um, now it's brilliant. It's a brilliant play call when it works. Yeah, it, it certainly looked brilliant. They certainly have to rethink um, running the option with Patrick Mahomes. They're going they, I mean, they, their whole season could have gone up in flames because of that one play. Yep, without a doubt, without a doubt. Next one coming in from our guy, LDJ. Okay, three ones, three twos, Fant Andrew. Is that enough? I hope so. I got a question for you, LDJ. Are you uncomfortable? If so, then maybe it is. Anywho, what am I missing? I think Rob Sala is Eric Bieniemy is a huge, or and Eric Bieniemy is a huge hire for the Chargers. Why are people nervous about Brandon Staley? I'm not impressed. I would have rather Brandon Dayball over him. Uh, close enough um yeah i mean that's what i think as well i'm i'm certainly not nervous about brandon staley i think he could end up being a good coach but we'll see on that mace what do you think i think i think if people are nervous about brandon staley maybe it's because of what vic fangio said i mean vic has been you know vic throws around compliments like manhole covers as a as a cliche would say but he is effusive when he talks about Brandon Staley. I mean, clearly he sees something special in him. And I think, uh, you know, 
even though Vic has not been a successful coach the last couple of years, stuff like that matters. And, and people think of that and they're like, okay, well now he's in the division. What is that going to look like? And uh, I also think that there's some regret among Broncos fans that Brandon Staley isn't still on the stat that people would have liked to have seen him stay, especially because of the success he did have with the Rams. Albeit, like you guys mentioned with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and some really good parts on that side of the ball in LA. Yeah, I mean, this is the first branch off the Vic Fangio coaching tree, is it not? Or although is he is it going to count as a Vic Fangio branch, or is it going to be a uh, Sean McVay branch? I mean, this is the, you know the whole thing of if you had coffee with Sean McVay at some point in your lifetime, you're up for a job. I mean, even though Staley's on the defensive side, I feel like I feel like the part of the appeal of him is that people are viewing him as a defensive Sean McVay. Absolutely. That's what people are viewing him as. Yeah. That's a fascinating thing here. It's just interesting because Sean McVay is known for being innovative and creative and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, it's a lot harder to be that on the defensive side of the ball. There's not as many levers that you could pull. Well, and the other thing is it's, it's responsive. It's responding to what the, the offense, the, the offense does. I mean, there's now there is a school of thought that some teams have an ownership level that they prefer defensive coaches because they're problem solvers, because they're faced with looking at a situation saying, okay, how do we counter this offense? How do we solve this? And that it lends itself to being a better head coach and adapting as as you face certain crises, certain tactical and strategic issues in the course of a season. So we'll see, but man, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm, I've been looking at Staley's resume throughout this podcast because I'm still kind of, I'm blown away by it. I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that somebody who was at John Carroll as recently as 2016 is now an NFL head coach. I mean, I don't think we've seen, this sort of meteoric rise. Josh McDaniels was young when the Broncos hired him, but he'd been with the Patriots for what, nearly a decade. It also should be noted that he didn't do anything special as Broncos linebackers coach. No, no. And I mean, that was just one year ago when he was the Broncos linebacker coach. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, you could say like Malik Reed developed well under him and Jeremiah Atachu came in and played well for him. But other than that, I wasn't necessarily impressed. When the Broncos lost him in the offseason, I didn't think that was a big loss. Right. And, and so that's why, I mean, you, you can look at it of one of two ways and say the Chargers got the Sean McVay of the defensive side. Or you can say that they got a guy that was, you know, not even in the NFL a couple of years ago and just one year ago was the Broncos outside linebacker coach uh, in a year where Bradley Chubb was hurt for most of the season. Von Miller only had eight sacks. Uh, and uh, this goes to hurt Vic Fangio as well, but they had a record slow start, a historical slow start in terms of sacks and pressures and turnovers getting, getting after the quarterback. I guess my, my main thought here is that this is a risky move by the chargers. And I think they were in a position where they didn't necessarily need to take a risk. Unless they didn't want to pay moving expenses, unless they're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, guys, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. What, what are they? I mean, what, what, you're trying to think of rationalizations for the move here. I mean, but the other thing also with the Chargers, kind of the offensive defensive side, you know, the recent Chargers coaches, Anthony Lynn, offensive side, Mike McCoy, offense, North Turner, offense, 
uh, the last defensive coach that they hired was Marty Schottenheimer. And maybe that's some of their, their thinking here that, you know, okay, you know, we actually had some good offenses with Marty around, but he had more of a defensive background. Maybe that's what we're looking for here this time that we've tried the offensive hires. They haven't worked out as we've wanted. Let's go in a different direction. Guys, I believe uh, Robert Sala and uh, Brandon Staley both got their starts in the NFL under Vic Fangio. So two guys for the coaching tree for Vic, if you want to go back that far. Yeah. All right. From the other Ryan, my boys, congratulations to Mace for his Buccaneers advancing to the NFC championship game to take on his in-laws team. My in-laws are also <laughs> Packer backers. Yesterday, January 17th is a big day in Broncos history with the AFC or with the Broncos winning three playoff games on that date in Denver, the 1917-1987 AFC Championship fumble game, the 1998 AFC Championship game, which was John Elway's last game played in Denver, and the 2015 AFC Divisional Playoff game against the Steelers at Mile High. There must be something in the air on that day as the Broncos forced and recovered critical fumbles in each of those games. Against Cleveland, the Broncos forced and recovered three fumbles, including the one that will forever live in football lore. Against the Jets, the Broncos forced four fumbles and recovered each of them. And against Pittsburgh, the Broncos forced two fumbles and recovered one that they absolutely had to have. Otherwise, their third straight or their third Super Bowl triumph is in serious doubt. How are the Broncos going to force more fumbles and turnovers in 2021? Have a magical Monday, DNV Army salute. Mm, it's a great, it's a great well, point. Maybe, and maybe yesterday the Chargers fumbled their head coach higher <laughs> and maybe that'll help the broncos get more turnovers against uh two games against a divisional opponent maybe maybe start by playing from ahead i mean that i think that's uh something unfortunately it's been missing the last four years but play from ahead be able to attack the quarterback more often get some more of those strip sack fumbles i think that i think that'll help uh what the broncos choose to do in the secondary i think that's going to have an impact as well and maybe where you say okay yeah, if you can bring A.J. Boye back and you feel good about Boye, Cal- Callahan, and O.J. Mudia, or you're adding a first-round pick that you really like and you get that rush and cover thing going and you're able to, to make some plays, I think that's how you get more turnovers uh, as well. So it, it can happen. They need a little bit better. Some of it's beyond their control. They need a little bit of, of better luck as well, I think, to be able to get more turnovers. Last yeah. one here. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Okay. Last one here from True Champ Fan 24 my peoples two quick things one i hate and i cannot stress this enough hate bama quarterbacks nothing good comes from bama quarterbacks two i've had a couple dreams of mac jones in a denver broncos uniform tearing up the nfl i think my mind is broken love (laughs) y'all so you don't know where to go with this man uh, I would love Mac Jones with the Denver Broncos. I can tell you my, uh, my two partners wouldn't like that. That is I'd be okay. I think I'm, I'm a little more neutral, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not hot on, uh, hot on him. I, I'd rather wait a year and get Sam Howell. Let's let me just put it that way. But, well, but Mace, I, that, I don't <laughs> think that's fair because I why? Mean, are, aren't you, you like Sam Howell so much. He should be the number one overall pick. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just saying like, if we're talking about things that would make me jettison a plan to see if Drew Locke can, should get another year and have a, a good veteran hedge. I mean, if, if you, talk, I mean, I guess I just, I would, re- I don't think they'll do this. I would rather have Drew Locke and Jameis Winston or Drew Locke and Marcus Mariota than Mac Jones, because if it didn't work out, because the other element of this is I'd like to trade down, get some capital for 2022 and then be in position to move up and take a Sam Howell. So I'm, 
I think I, 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 yeah, I wonder, I, I will say this. I don't know that I would feel that way about saying, okay, I'm fine not taking a quarterback this year. I don't know if I would feel that way if Drew had not shown some pretty palpable steps forward in the last few games. For sure. Yeah, those were big. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I don't think, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be feel good about spending a first round pick on Mac Jones. I guess that's, that's kind of where uh, I draw that line. Um, if you are taking a flyer on him later in the draft, then I'd be more interested. Um, but I don't think that's going to be an option. Also, my question is, with all these quarterbacks going this year, if there's, let's say there's five first round quarterbacks this year, how many teams are going to be in desperate need of a quarterback at the, after next season? That's another thing to consider as well, because I mean, you think about some teams that might be picking near the top of the draft. Um, you could have teams that are going into year three of a quarterback. Cincinnati could have a bad year this year and still believe that Joe Burrow is their guy, for right. example. I mean, it's, it's possible that, it might next year might be one of those years, kind of like you see sometimes in the head coaching hire hiring cycle. Oh, well, there's like nine opening, nine or 10 openings one year. And then there's five or six next year that maybe next year sort of looks a little bit like that where fewer teams feel like they have to get their guy. But you also may start seeing some teams that did pick quarterbacks recently cycle back in. If Daniel Jones, for example, struggles this year, then the Giants cycle back into the, num- to, the to the pool of teams that wants a quarterback. Yeah, yeah I think true. you can go, can I think you can go so through fast. a lot. I mean, just look at all the yeah. veteran quarterbacks that are out there. Uh, Matthew Stafford, they may roll with him for another year and then decide to make a change. Uh, what the Washington football team does this year, Atlanta Falcons mm-hmm. potentially, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see especially just with how how teams are crazy for the young unknown quarterbacks that this really just keep up yeah i mean it's true but it is like you keep start looking around the league and you're like man all these teams have young quarterbacks uh, or most of them or they have a, a good veteran tampa bay bucks may be looking at one next year with tom's uh contract up unless he takes another two-year deal yeah, that exactly. I, I was going to mention the Bucks because looking at the teams this weekend, you have the Bucks and you have the Saints, and it's a little further down the road. But maybe even the Rams start thinking, okay, mm-hmm. has Jared Goff taken us as far as we can, as he can? Now that being said, his contract doesn't really allow for an out for the Rams until twenty three, because in twenty two the dead money on his contract is 30.9 million and you only save 1.725 million of cap. But if they're picking late in round one in 22, Sean McVay may, may get the, the, the plan ahead itch and make a move. So there's a lot in play. MSU Denver puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs and you can apply to MSU Denver with no application fee when you use the code DNVR sports. So check them out. MSUDenver.edu slash online but for us that's going to wrap it up on today's edition of the dnvr broncos podcast thanks for some great questions that sparked some good debate and and good uh conversation uh we will talk to you guys tomorrow